So I try to I try to typically choose like lower profile volumes, you know, so the volumes will go on first. Then we do the bigger holds and then the oh nice. That oh God. the whiskey was good that one. Yeah. Yeah, no, I just like just put Drano down my throat. <laughs> or maybe Green Goblin because it's organic. Oh my God. Check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Sends and Suffers podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley. Happy freaking new year. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday, an amazing new year. I hope you got all the things you wanted, all the things you needed, maybe some of the things that you didn't really want, but you definitely need in your life. We all know those times of growth and let's just put 21 behind us and move forward to 2022. It's going to be a punch, but we're resilient. We're climbers. We're outdoor adventurous. We're enthusiasts. We, we are people who just go after it. Before we get into our guest today, I want to make sure you guys know that we are a part of Plug Tone Audio. It is a collaboration of awesome podcasts, Power Company, Switchback, Not Your Average Climber, Breaking Beta, and the American Climbing Project. All of us have joined forces together, and, you know, we're kind of just getting together, morphing, doing our thing, might even run from Power Rangers. I'm a Voltron fan personally myself, but we won't get into that right now. But if you guys haven't had a chance, please go to plunktudaudio.com and check out all of the cruise stuff. Um, I think you will like the variety. It is uh, it is like going into a black person's spice cabinet. You will find a wide variety of shit for everyone. My guest today is Ellis Whitson. Originally hailing from Maryland, Ellis has been in the climbing community for well over a decade. And he is coached in Maryland, rock climbed in the red, climbed in Waco, experienced outdoor climber, has been coaching and route setting for years. And Ellis moved down to Texas a while back, and we got to know each other at work. And I had recently learned that he was jumping ship and moving on to Salt Lake. So I wanted to take an opportunity to really just talk to him and introduce you guys to someone who has become definitely a DFW staple in the coaching and climbing community and kind of just let you guys get to know him. We nerd out about route setting, about climbing, a little bit about whiskey, but we'll get there. And I'm really excited to introduce you guys, Ellis Woodson, DFW local. So without further ado, let's get into this. Check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to Sends and Suffers podcast. I have no idea what episode this is because I don't really pay attention to that anyway. I just kind of hang 9, out. 9,000. Yeah, 9,584. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we're hanging out. We're here in Dallas, Texas. I am hanging out with my buddy Ellis. I'm going to let him introduce himself. So who are you, where you're from, and what is your connection to the great outdoors, rock climbing, or whatever the hell you do? Who am I? Um... Yeah, my name is Ellis Whitson. I'm originally from Maryland, a little place called Mechanicsville, which is in southern Maryland, middle of nowhere. Um, yeah, I currently live in Dallas for about three more days, and then I'm moving to Salt Lake City. 
Um, I have been here for about eight years, though. So I've been in the industry here for, yeah, eight years uh, in the climbing industry for um, 15, 16 years, something like that. So quite a while. It's kind of the only real career I would have, I would say. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm a coach, a root setter, a climber. Hopefully more of a climber now that I'm moving out of Dallas. We'll see. But, yeah, good uh, luck. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. Um, yeah, I guess that's my deal. Yeah, I didn't realize you and I had been in the industry almost the same amount of time. I Actually, just hearing you say that now, that dawned on me. When you said Mechanicsville, I, you said Maryland. I was like, oh, shit, I didn't realize. I thought you were going to say Mechanicsville, Virginia, because there's the same thing. I think there's probably a couple. Yeah, I think there's a Pennsylvania one as well. It seems like that's a... I don't know, an old industrial town that's common on the East Coast. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it was like where all the blacksmiths were. I don't know. <laughs> that's make, it, I don't know. I'm thinking colonial here. That's like my mindset. Um, but hell yeah. So you and I met, what, like basically eight years ago? Yeah, you were actually the first person I met at Summit. Oh, yes. Uh, I, oh, we have to tell this story. <laughs> Come on. Well, I don't, I don't remember exactly what you said, but I, so I showed up to, to Texas to root set and it was like a, I think it was a Sunday night. Yeah. I used to set Sunday nights late and, uh, I, I didn't know who I, who I was looking for besides some guy named Chris who was, he was, you know, the head root setter at the time and one of the owners of the gym and I was told to look for him. So I came into the gym and asked for Chris and the other root setters and, you know, the guy at the front desk was like, oh, I don't. I don't know, go there over there, go find them. And you were the first person I actually saw and talked to. I asked you, you know, who Chris was, where he was, if I could talk to him, meet to him. I think you, you told me to say some terrible slur about Italians or something to oh, yell yeah. at him. I told you to call him a Sicilian. No, 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 he is Sicilian. He is Sicilian, but you told me, I, I don't oh, remember what, what is exactly the you slur. It's terrible. And now, and I just want to give the caveat. I believe in racial equality. I believe in justice for all but I love a really good racist joke, and it was I, a simpler time. You know, it was, before. it was, it was a very, <laughs> it was a simpler time. Man, what was that? I keep on thinking of Jersey Shore and like Guido, and that's yeah, what I'm thinking what of right I, now. But that I don't remember what it. it was. But I just remember I panicked because I was just, you know, I was this was my first day at work, and I was like, I don't know if I should yell a racial slur at my boss on day one. It seems I like, was like go for it, go bad for form, it. but you know. Uh, yeah, he would have known it was from, he would have immediately known he was like, so you met Mario. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fortunately he, yeah, he would have, I learned later he would have been cool with that, but (laughs) yeah. Anyway. Oh man. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. And then we sat and then worked and you've been basically coaching the team and managing it. You've kind of done, I think you've done a little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah. I've done, I mean, you know, it's, it's always been kind of centered around, um, coaching and root setting, but yeah, I got hired. Um, to come out and, and run part of the program out of one of the gyms in Dallas, starting one of the kids' clubs programs there, coaching with a competitive team and doing root setting. So in the beginning, it was, you know, a classic scenario of a 60-hour work week all the time and, yeah. you know, trying to cram classic. literally everything in. Um, and, you know, I did variations of that for, yeah, for about eight years here. Um, and... Uh, you know, uh, some of it was managing facilities. I did a little bit of managing the the Carrollton facility after that kind of got shut down from 
the tornado a couple years ago. We revamped it, turned it into a training center. Yeah. And we reopened that as a team-specific training center. So I managed that facility and was also in charge of the route setting and the programming out of that place. Um, yeah. 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 And then where were you at before? Were you just climbing in the red before you came to Texas or were you coaching somewhere else? Uh, well, I mean, I was, yeah, I was kind of vagabond for, you know, a few months before I came here, but I was working for Earth Treks for a long time um, in Rockville, Columbia, all around Maryland in that mm-hmm. area. That, at that point, they only had three locations. Yeah. Oh, Antimonium, Columbia and Rockville. Yeah. And I was the head coach for all those locations at that point. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. And they have like five or six now, I think. Yeah. They have a thousand they, now, yeah, I guess. And they're, since they're merged, there's, you know, oh, now yeah. the, the El Cap Dynasty. Oh, they are in the El Cap Dynasty. Yep. Along with movement moving in here. So who does the El Cap Dynasty own? So it's uh, it's movement and Planet Granite and Earth Treks. Yeah. So that's it. Mm-hmm. Correct. Do you know the story of those guys? Because I was told that they were just old dirtbagger, cli- well, not dirtbaggers, but they were old like, Yosemite climbers that were just happened to be involved in real estate in L.A. And they just happened to come into money. I don't know if that's like an urban legend I, or a myth. I don't know. I don't know a lot about Planet Granite. I mean, I know Earth, Earth Trek started as a guiding company. So uh, Chris Warner is a famous mountaineer. He started Earth Treks um, in the early 90s in Maryland. Mm-hmm. And it was initially it was just a a guiding company um, for, they would do, you know, Kilimanjaro and mm-hmm. uh, South America, all, all over the place. I mean, it started as that. They built a gym in the mid-90s the way that a lot of people did because they wanted to climb somewhere when the, the weather was bad and somewhere mm-hmm. to train. And then it just sort of blossomed from there. Yeah. Fair enough. Oh, well, I'm going to have to do research on the El Cap dynasty because I don't understand how those guys got, how just they've just swallowed everything. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, they, they were the first ones that I know of to, to merge at that level. I mean, I know there's been some other gyms that have acquired smaller gyms before that. Yeah, but, but they're more of a conglomerate. Earthtrex is more, I mean, sorry, the LCAP is, the LCAP, the brand, is more of a conglomerate. That's how I look at them, because they're mm-hmm. just basically swallowing up any gym. And, you know, I don't know if this part is true or not, but I know they, like, they've bought different, they've bought these major chains that have been successful, and then I know, I don't know this for, to be sure, but they've bought smaller gyms and just acquired their inventory or acquired different things from them. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not 100% sure on, you know, how that process worked, but it seemed like they, they merged those three companies to, you know, spread their their influence all over the all over the U.S., I guess. And, yeah, seems to be working for them. They're, they're still building a lot of gyms. There's two coming in Dallas yeah. now. I think two in Chicago that are about to open uh, as well. They, they have more money than God. I'm, I'm, sure, they, the I'm sure they have a big plan. Yeah. 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 I mean, they'll, yeah, they'll eventually own it all. <laughs> Unless someone yeah, comes Globe, in. Globo Gym. Oh, it is going to be. Oh, climbing. Globo Gym. That's what that needs to Globo happen. Overs. They need to start a climbing dodgeball team. If they finally own everything, if they don't start a dodgeball team and everything, and it has to be called Cobra. Is it going to be climbing and dodgeball? Like, a combined sport we're gonna create a new yeah why not i mean we (laughs) technically used to play a game in kids club called wall ball and i mean this was i mean this was you could do this back in dallas the the old d rocks which is now summit dallas and dallas rocks back in the day homage um but uh we used to play this game called wall ball and we would deflate a soccer ball 
and the kids had to go up and catch the ball and then shoot it in a laundry hamper that we would put a couple cloths in so it would stay. And we set them at different places and they would be worth different points. Yeah. And we would play wall ball at Dallas all the time. Well, the side note is, is the coaches would be pegging the crap out of the kids while they're on the wall. Naturally. And, you know, I mean, I never did it intentionally. I'm sure a few of you kids listening to this know I like nailed you in the head a couple of times and I'm very sorry. It was never done in malicious intent at all. Yeah, maybe a little malicious. You know who you are. Um, You know, but uh, yeah, that's like, but, you know, the theory has been done. It does work. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, first. how would that work? Pioneering. Though? Yeah, you throw the ball, you dodge it. What if you like dodge it, bounce off the wall, you catch it, and then you like have to hit the person? I think it would be cool to add in like points or like hoops, like kind of like Harry Potter, where they got to throw it through the hoops. Mm-hmm. If you add that into there, it would be a next level game. Well, there's still time to, you know, add in a new discipline for 2024 Olympics. So. Oh, my God. Start your pitch now. That was a sh- watching people who have no business, who have never speed climb, was a shit show. It was, yeah, it was interesting. It was maybe not the best representation of our sport in that regard, mm-hmm. but uh, I think generally speaking, I was actually pretty happy with it. I think, I think it, it went well. Yeah, I think it went well. I think it could have gone better. It could have gone better, but it could have been a disaster in terms of yeah. So you know, some okay. small things with the root setting that could have caused you know a disaster in some ways. I think so. But I think it was good I, overall. I want to circle back up on that, but I guess I, I want to give this caveat for anyone listening. So if you are not a climber or you are not, there's kind of like the best way I can say this is is like you know you start like there's different levels, different stages here. And so, like, if you're just, like, an everyday gym grower, you buy a day pass, or you're just someone who saw the Olympics, it all looks cool to you. If you are a novice climber and you have a membership and you've never really climbed outside and you're still wearing rental shoes, it all look great to you. If you are, and let's just skip all the other people in between that, if you are someone who buys climbing shoes and actually resoles them to save money because you're always trying to get new rope, new gear because you thrash everything and you understand how to manage your... uh and you actually understand how to use a hangboard and get your fingers strong, then you might have cringed a few times. Um, you know, I'm going to go ahead sure. and... Sure, s- yeah. I, I, th- I think the more... You know, the yes. more you were just kind of like, ugh. I would say more criticism came from, yeah, mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the more in-depth and knowledgeable crowd. Oh. Um, but, you know, some of that is just... A lot of it was, you know, criticism about the commentary, which I get, you know, if you're a climber, it, some of it was pretty cringeworthy. But... Yeah. You know, when you look at it from the perspective of they're trying to talk to an audience that has Does never it? seen climbing, perhaps. Yeah, no, so. I mean, my personal opinion, they should have just let Megan have it because I think Megan does a really good job of simplifying it for everyone. Megan Margot, for those of you guys who don't know her, uh, she does a really good job of simplifying it, but then still keeping it entertaining enough. For climbers to listen to because I don't know I think she just does a good oh, job. I'm of, sorry, Megan Martin. Yes, yes. Yeah, Megan. Um, Mar- oh, did I say Margot? Megan yeah, Martin. I, I, Martin. I heard. I saw some clips that had her uh, commentating, but it seemed like either I was watching the wrong channel or maybe it was just I think commentating I on on replays and whatnot. But I, I yeah, I, I wish that I had seen coverage with it with was. Her. I, I'm pretty confident she was just basically giving all the recaps okay. and like and that's it because. You know, I think she just does a masterful job of really telling people like, okay, this is what you're seeing. 
but then also giving climbers less information because we can fill in the gaps ourselves. Yeah, sure. And I think sure. that's like the part, like the other guys were just like, I, we don't need a play by play. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Oh my God. All right. Moving on. But, uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for the rest. I'm waiting for the next bomb of memes to drop on this one. Our, our audio clips. Um, you know, actually, you kind of mentioned the root setting, and I, I would kind of like to hear your thoughts on that because you've been setting for a while. You've set at multiple different levels. Just And we'll leave the Olympics alone after this, and we'll just move on. To oh, no, like, whatever you want to talk about. Uh, I'll, dude, I'll, I'll talk shit all day. Um, <laughs> but, uh, like, what do you think was that could have gone disastrous with the root setting? Like, I think that's an interesting comment. Well, I mean, the biggest thing that I worried about beforehand was honestly that the, the root setting might be too easy. Um, fortunately it was not, you know, but I, I was worried that there might be maybe too much pressure in some ways on the root setters to have that, the good show, you know, have lots of tops, have things that are exciting. You know, if things are, are too hard, uh, for a layman, perhaps it can seem like no one's getting off the ground or they're all falling on the same move. And it, I, I think I, I've heard criticism from, from non-climbers watching our sport before that with bouldering sometimes, they're not really certain who's winning because if the boulder is very hard, if everyone's falling on a specific move, not making progress, it, they don't really understand mm -hmm. you know, that they are struggling and maybe, maybe they are making progress little by little, but they don't really understand it and see it. Because they yeah, it's the nuance sport. in a sport. It's but, funny. I was happy actually in, in happy that they did not do that. I was I was pleasantly surprised that that they took risks in, mm -hmm. in this. Um, you know, I think there was some criticism about some of the routes, uh, some of the boulders. I'm sorry, being a little bit too hard. But for me personally, I would always rather them be harder than easier. Um, yeah, always. I I just prefer that personally. It's some somewhat of a you know, philosophical question of, of who's chiefing the event and who's in charge of it to, to make that decision about the level of the boulders and whether they want things to feel harder, easier. Yeah. But I, I was really happy that they took risks, you know, especially um, uh, in the women's field. It's, there's a, a tendency to set for Yanya, yeah. which uh, is a double-edged sword in a lot of ways, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when, when she's on, she's obviously Fire. head and shoulders above yeah. everyone else. And, um, you know, it, it, it could have been, if they had only set for her, for instance, it could have been quite boring to watch the other climbers on there. Yeah. Um, the other aspect of having, you know, speed climbers in the combined final too is also a wild card because you have situations where, you know, certain climbers, I think, um, uh, the French climber, Anouk, um, she did quite well, I thought overall, mm -hmm. um, she's a speed specialist, but, I thought um, generally she did well on the boulders, um, which was nice. It was good to see that. Um, in the men's category, we didn't really have any speed specialists, unless I'm completely going blank right now in finals, because uh, we would have with Bassa, but yeah. with the bicep injury, him being out, yeah, which was tragic and horrifying to watch at the same time, by the way. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think in general, I was really happy with the root setting at the Olympics. Um, there's always things you can nitpick about, but, um, I think that they did a very good job of setting a diverse set of boulders and they, they were, they were hard and they should have been, you know, yeah, no, I the, agree the with most you. elite climbers in the world. And, you know, yeah. And for people listening, the reason why, and we both agree err on the side of, 
harder than easier because the worst thing at, you know, at a maybe more junior level, what you see happen in gyms is you get these three or four way or five way ties. And then there has to be a climb off in order to break it off. And that's like the worst thing you want to happen. It's like, it just, it's very unprofessional. At the end of the day, it's just like people, you know, you would rather err on it being too hard than asking, then, then people are like, wait a minute, what's happening? I don't understand why this is happening. Why mm -hmm. are they climbing this random route that the boys climbed? Are they, why are they making change or why are they changing this route to do this? And then, yeah, it just, it turns into this whole, whole thing. And so yeah. with a layman listening to this, that is why as a, and I would just call it a rule of thumb. Like you always err on the side of a little too hard because the last thing you want is a tie. And as you said, you know, if you know who you're setting for, you know, there's always wild cards, but at the same time, you can always break, break, you, know, you can break the scoring down by like, you know, what hold did they get possession movement towards a hold. There's all these little things that we can like break it down with. But if everybody tops, it's like, you can't fix that. Yeah. I think the Olympics in particular too, there was obviously an added level of stress that yeah. was hard to calculate for the route setting team. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's a situation, a, a higher level event than any of them have ever been a part of. It was the oh, first yeah. Olympic event, you know, all of them were seasoned World Cup competitors, but you could see the stress very, very evidently on a lot of the climbers. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah. So that was, you know, it's hard to predict those kinds of things, how they're actually going to react. And, yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think there's, there's lots of things that could have gone wrong and lots of ways that the root setting, you know, could have caused serious issues. Like, obviously, like, if, if on the lead routes, if there was a bottleneck where... You know, 90% of the climbers fall on a certain move. That can be disappointing to see that kind of thing, you know. But it didn't happen, really. I, I, yeah, I, I can't complain very much about it. It's, it's an incredibly difficult job. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's one thing to uh, have an idea of who you're setting for, what they're capable of, uh, you know, your own level and your own expertise and experience. But when it comes down to it, the day of the event, there's so many variables that are beyond your control that um, all things considered, I think they, they did a great job. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, cool. Well, that's, uh, that's your recap on the Olympics, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yeah, just go to YouTube to watch everything else about it. <laughs> or at least that's like the grungy recap of it. Like, we're not going to get too crazy on this. Yeah, I'm sure someone else has done a play-by-play -play breakdown oh, somewhere. Oh, yeah. I am just waiting for like the break. I'm honestly waiting for Albert to do this. Like, Actually, the, I did. I did watch. There was. Uh, I only watched the women's uh, version of it, but um, uh, beta climbing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, his name escapes me right now, but um, uh, he did a good breakdown um, of. Uh, I'll have to watch it. I haven't both seen the it. Men's and the women's. Um, uh, combined at least the finals it may have been the qualifiers as well i haven't had a chance to catch up on a lot of the a lot of the media since but um but it was it was a good kind of breakdown and conversation about those topics too nice nice i'll put that in the show notes because i haven't watched that yet mm -hmm. so i'll be psyched to see that yeah hell yeah so you are getting ready to bump off to salt lake mm -hmm. and um you know i know we briefly talked about um, what you're going to do there and still trying to figure that part out. Mm -hmm. uh, but what are you excited about moving there for? Or um, to do just like obviously getting out of this fucking concrete jungle? I'm excited to go somewhere new. Yeah, I, um, I used to spend significantly less time in one area 
before moving around. I spent um, a number of years kind of, you know, doing a few years in an area and then moving and bouncing back and forth and whatnot. And um, obviously the actual outdoor rock climbing availabilities in and around the Dallas area are limited to say the least. Yeah. I would say. And so, um, yeah, I'm certainly excited to, to get back to hopefully more regular rock climbing mm-hmm. um, around Salt Lake. Um, I, I like the area a lot. I've visited many times over the last, I don't know, like 10 years or something. I think I went to Joe's Valley probably longer ago than that. Probably like 2008 or nine was the first time I went there. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, I climbed around, I climbed around St. George a little bit before. Um, but um, other than that, I actually haven't done a lot of climbing in Utah yet. And there's obviously a lot of it, of oh, all kinds. Yeah, shitload. Yeah, so I'm excited for that. Um, you know, just kind of a change of change of scenery in general, even even just beyond the climbing. Just yeah, just be able to enjoy the outdoors again on a more regular basis. You know, right now it's like 90 degrees with 8,000 percent humidity in Dallas. No, classic, um, classic feels, summers. It feels like a, a rainforest. Literally, it feels like a rainforest. Yeah, as of late. Yeah, I feel like we have much more of Houston's weather right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's exceptionally humid at the yeah. moment. Um, it's been a little. Just, it, I mean, it's definitely been a little raw. Over the last couple of days, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Texas needs the rain, so I'm not going to, like, really bitch about it because, uh, you know, I think they just, you know, declared wildfires and uh, water shortages, freshwater shortages are going to be a thing in the future, which we have all known that's going to be a thing. Yeah. So bring all the rain you want, but it is hot as balls. Yeah, the wildfires have been crazy out west this year. I was, yeah. When I was in Reno... Uh, a month or so ago, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I was. Uh, we we were surrounded by wildfires, literally, like in all directions. You know, there, there was a day when we were. I walked outside of the gym and it was raining ash. It was, you know, that's that's how close we were to some of the fires. That's not okay. Can I just like go ahead and stay? That's like what the last time it was really that situation. Like it was raining. I mean, minus a wildfire is when that one uh, mountain erupt, Mount St. Helen. Mm, it yeah. erupted, which, you know, we were children, like small kids, or I don't know, I'll have to Google when that was, but I'm pretty sure it happened when we were on this earth, but... Uh, I think it was in the 80s, yeah, right? Isn't it? I was born in 84, Yeah, and so I don't know when it was, maybe it was before that or after that, someone will say that when it is, but that, that was like, there was raining ash all across the country, like people in Texas were like getting small bits of ash from that thing. yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm sure that if I had grown up and lived out west, I'd be more used to them. But I also hear that they are worse and getting worse. It's what it seems like. Oh, yeah. Salt Lake, I was there last weekend as well. It was, yeah, it was a quite, quite smoky. Quite smoky. Yes. I, I was, like, surprised at how dense and, uh, yeah, just how close some of the fires were to Salt Lake City proper. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah. The- yeah, there's one... Uh, off of I-80, it's up towards Park City, I believe, that's burning right now. Jesus. Okay. I didn't realize it was that close to Salt Lake. I th- they're just always going on, and I think I've just gotten desensitized to them. Sure. And yeah. I'm just like, okay, they're like, you know, like we need to figure this thing out. And I, this, in my mind, basically all of Oregon, Washington, and California is just small splotches of it are on fire. Yeah, tinderbox. Yeah, basically. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Jesus. Oh. Well, um, I want to switch gears here and kind of um, get into uh, the topic that I would I want kind of psyched to talk to you about. And I just did an episode with Boone Speed. Yeah. And, yeah, I just uh, listened to that. Actually. Yeah, the yeah. man is living legend. I was I'm listening to the podcast myself. I can tell I was a little giddy because I was just <laughs> really like, Jesus. I was like, yeah, living legend. Boone, if you're listening to this, I don't give a shit. You're a living legend. Deal with it. Um, <laughs> Deal with it. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, we talked about a little bit about his, uh, grasshopper board and, you know, I know you have, have a very vast knowledge on spray walls and spray wall theory and the concept of that. And I'd really like to kind of like talk about the con the idea of to build a spray wall at home or to build a woody mm -hmm. versus buying a board. And okay. so for those of you, just for context, we're just going to go ahead and say, uh, this is not an exact quote, but we're going to say Boone's board is just a little over $10,000 like for like for a really nice home setup. That's I think it's a little over that, maybe 12, whatever. He'll we'll, we'll get exact numbers later on or we'll give you information where you guys can get in contact with them. But let's just say for the sake of conversation, we're talking 11 grand um, and you're done and you have a wall that has thousands of boulder problems on it. Uh, you have a wall that you can warm up on. Uh, which is key. And that's the difference between the grasshopper board and any other board that's out there. Like you can yeah. actually warm up on that board, which I was massively surprised about. I thought that was a good distinction for him to make in the yeah. podcast when I heard him talking about that. Yeah. Because it's true that, you know, the, the moon board, you is, cannot warm up on the moon board. It's quite hard. I, I'm sure some people can, but I would say that for most for, of us, for it's the mass, not really the best way to warm up. Yeah, you know? for the masses, like the moon board, like if the moon board is really just designed to be in a commercial gym, then it's it's it sets its purpose. But for people really wanting to have it at home, like I don't know, it's just not fun. And correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe other people disagree, but it's just not freaking fun not to warm up climbing. Sometimes, like yeah, well, I want to do some resistance band. Yeah, I want to get yeah. on my tension. I want to get on my tension block and pull on my fingers a little bit and just get them warm. But for the most part, I want to warm up climbing. Yeah. And I feel like I've used some people's home woodies before and you know, I'm going on it and I do this anyway. I go on a 10 minute run or something, get on a bike or some kind of thing, cardio for 10 minutes. But then I've got to like, you know, warm up the elbows, not just bands. I got to do push-ups. Sure. I got to do fingers. I got to hang. Yeah. I got to do quite a lot of stuff. And then I really yeah, I'm even still nervous to like really throw down on that thing. Cause like, I can warm up well, on a moon board. I can warm up on anything, but still, I think it's you know I think it's a tool. Yeah, and, it is. And like most tools, there are more and less effective ways to use them, and times yeah. when they're maybe more and less appropriate, depending on who you are and what you what you want to do as well. You know. Yeah. And so no, maybe that's true. Maybe the moon board is. I would just say it's more specific in a lot of ways than yeah. the rest. Yeah, I mean, I board. love the board. It's my favorite one to climb on. It's by far, it's one of my favorite ones to climb on in the gym, at least at Summit. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Everyone hates it. I just like that the holds are gnarly because it reminds me more of climbing outside. Yeah, yeah, but, um, and, th and that's what I do think that the best use of it is for is for recruiting that kind of movement, raw strength, and you know, climbing yeah. for outside. Yeah. But yeah, so getting to the topic at hand, so. I think that's like his board. So you get a freestanding mm -hmm. board, you get holds, you get a mat, you get everything. It can fit yeah. in an apartment. You can fr it's freight shipped to you, put it together, boom, you're ready to go. And it can go with you. It doesn't have to be built into a wall or anything. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really nice. 
now we're going to get into the concept of building a spray wall. And this can be a monumental headache or it can be something really, really, really cool. And um, I kind of, you know, I'm going to let you kind of go into it. And so I think like if someone wants to build a spray wall, what are, what would you say are like a few key things they have to keep in consideration when they're going to start this process? Oof. Well, uh, I guess there's a lot of questions to ask with regards to what you want and what you are able to able to do with your setup. I mean, obviously, um, there's some general questions about size related to what kind of dwelling you're in. <laughs> if you're in an apartment, if you're in a house, you know, mm-hmm. um, how big you can build this thing, whether it's attached to a wall, whether it has to be freestanding. You know, there's some kind of, I guess, just general considerations like that. More specifically to the the climbing, I you know, I would say what you want to use it for is a big question. Whether you're simply using it to train for climbing outside, to climb your outdoor project, um, to stay in shape, you know, just, you know, as if you're a recreational climber and you mm-hmm. just want to you know, move a little bit every day, climb for an hour or so, or whether you're a hardcore enthusiast and you're, you know, setting, setting your simulation of your project, say for instance, and, you know, training for several hours of a day. Um, or if you are, you know, more focused on competition climbing and you want a board that's, you know, maybe set up with holds and angles and whatnot that are more applicable towards competition climbing. Um, so there's a lot of questions like, I guess, to ask yourself, um, before you, you know, even begin designing it, you, mm. you know, what do I want to get out of this? What do I want to do? I mean, there's, you know, there's a, endless debates about, I guess, well, I say there's endless debates about spray walls, but there's probably like six of us that actually talk about it. This is all the information about spray walls you never needed to know and still don't need to know. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's just a, a matter of of what you want to get out of it. And I think there's a lot of answers to that. So, and what you just said, is, I think it's like, I imagine most people, it's going to be, so narrowing that list down, I imagine most people, it's going to be one of three things. They're simulating their projects, or the things that they're working on. They're trying to just stay fit. And then they're doing it for competitions. And, you know, I think the big, like starting, you know, we're starting backwards, competitions sounds like, to me, it's probably going to be the biggest upfront cost and build because, you have to keep in consideration of angles and terrains. Like look at the World Cup walls or any of the World Cup, any kind of walls, like you're going from slab to vert to overhang. And so you kind of need to have enough space to set that up. Yeah. Because yeah, you can't sure. really like, I mean. If, you're, if your sole focus were competing uh, or sorry, sole focus is training to compete in indoor climbing competitions, it would be very hard to simply build one board at one angle and train on it effectively. Yeah, it's like you how could, much space... Get, yeah, yeah, you could get quite strong in, in very specific ways, and um, even with the right holds, you could do a lot. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, if you're talking about someone who is, you know, training for competitions, it would be very difficult to train, at least exclusively, on a home board of one angle. Yeah. Yeah, no, so, like, like how much space would you think someone needs per angle? So, like, slab, like, I think you got to at least have, I would say, minimum 20 feet. Like just at least with going back and forth. Yeah, maybe not necessarily that much, but you would uh, slab would. 
quite large because you know especially with more modern styles of bouldering you need the ability to to run <laughs> yeah uh literally quite literally on the wall um some lateral movements uh, slow traverse movements as well it helps to have a wide space you know um yeah so i mean yes if you if you were truly you know in a scenario where you have a either a home or a garage or something that's you know large enough to build let's say four or five angles you need um, a barn basically yeah. if you say you had a barn for instance yeah yeah yeah, yeah. If, if i had a barn i would yeah i would build a 20 foot slab for sure absolutely yeah. yeah yeah so you could have at least so if you're doing competition climbing there's probably so what do you need slab you need what moderate overhang and would you say you need super steep yeah, I mean, if I were just off the top of my head, I would I would probably build, you know, a slab, maybe like negative four, negative five, somewhere around there. I would do um, a vert wall or a wall that's, you know, between zero and five degrees overhanging. Mm -hmm. um, maybe a wall that's around 15 or so. Um, I would do one wall that's 45, a steep wall. Mm -hmm. Um you know, and maybe something else in between, I would say like another 30 or 35 as well. Yeah. So, so and that's, that's a probably good competition yeah. setup. There's not I, very, very few modern competition walls that are steeper than 40, 45 degrees. Yeah. You know, they're trending much more in the other direction, but um, it's, you know, not unheard of in some situations to have a wall steeper than that. Okay. And then, so kind of going back up this uh, list that so we talked, uh, you know, someone who's training for competition, someone who's training just to keep fit. I mean, my guess is like some like a simple thirty degree wall. You can have one wall. It doesn't have to be fancy. Doesn't even really have to be that much. You're just you're really just. I mean, you're really just making moves on it, and it doesn't really have to be that big. I mean, you could probably just have a simple twelve by twelve. Yeah, no, that would be plenty. That would be plenty. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and also I would add that if you have the ability to make the wall adjustable, even if it's a a crank winch system, mm -hmm. something old school or a counterweight or something, mm -hmm. obviously that gives you a big advantage as well um, yeah regardless of if you're you know a novice or an expert having an adjustable wall would be nice <laughs> you know it's funny so that kind of brings up a uh, a concept that i've all well that's a concept but a thing that i've always noticed and people have always asked me and at dallas this is definitely a little bit more because those walls are older and they're a little bit more of a home built oh dude do break into the whiskey break into the whiskey we are uh definitely Enjoying our Joe's Valley whiskey. Uh, what is it? I don't think is it. I think it's a. Uh, I don't know what it is. I call it Joe's it, Valley because someone bought it. I, it's. I'm, I'm sure Clyde it's either Mays. Kentucky or. So it's. It is. It, it's beautiful, regardless of whatever it is. But um, you know, I think so. Having a wall like that, it's just if you're just trying to stay in shape, it doesn't have to be fancy. You know, you're really just probably going to slap maybe a volume or two on it. You don't have to have as much space. Um, I think the mechanical design of having a winch or something where it's adjustable is rough. And so this kind of goes into something that I always talked about where people would complain about finger injuries. And I noticed this is not really so much a thing on the Walltopia walls at the gym, but the old Dallas ones, because it was just cheaply built. That gym was very cheaply built. It's a well-known fact. Um, but the holds flex the wall flexes, mm -hmm. everything flexes when you do it. And I've always wondered if that's really equated to finger injuries or, or more tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, because you have to deal with quite a bit. And I think on these newer walls, more modern walls, like you don't 
get that much flex and that's it. And I think that would be my concern about building an adjustable wall. That's not on a steel frame or something that locks or anything like that, because the movement alone, I, I I think you're going to wreck your elbows. I think you're going to like, you're, you open yourself up to much more, especially if you're doing big, powerful moves to like, you know, shallow holds and you're really trying to dead point and hold it's one thing if you like hit that and adjust in your body absorb it through your shoulders but then you have to worry about the whole wall and everything shaking comparison to like when you're grabbing on stone nothing moves and so that's yeah yeah that's a that's a con that's a concern i have so is that would you say that is a valid concern or is someone building their own wall just for the purposes of fitness and making it adjustable. Is that something they shouldn't really worry about? I mean, it, it could be, I, I suppose it would depend on the level of climbing that you're doing on that wall, maybe. And the, you know, the type of holds and mm-hmm. things like that. I, I hadn't given much consideration to that, but I could see how there could be, there might be a difference too, between the way that the holds will flex on softer wood, for instance, mm-hmm. pulling versus like the entire wall shaking and the entire oh, wall moving a little yeah. bit. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure actually. I'm not, not confident yeah, on that yeah. one. It's just something I've always noticed over the years, and it's yeah. just like it was. It was interesting the first time I climbed that at like a, a real rock climbing gym that yeah. actually had real nice walls. I was mm-hmm. like, oh shit, the wall doesn't move. Yeah, my my main experience with the the softer wood is that you will literally rip the holds through the wall after a long period of time, especially when you have oh, yeah. excessive moisture and <laughs> wood rot and mildew and things. Like oh, that. that's so funny. That reminds me of like every year. So all route setters know this in an old gym but every february all the t-nuts just fall out of the dallas gym because the wall the wood contracts in the winter expands during the summer with all the humidity and mm-hmm. they're just like slowly backed out over the years because they're mo- majority of those things are hammer ends yeah i think they maybe have finally gotten around to replacing a lot of them over the years but yeah. i'm sure there are sections that are still hammer in there yeah yeah, yeah. i remember yeah. i i remember doing that i remember that was part of the job back in the old yeah. d-rocks days there was literally a shift where you would just go in the back and just replace t-nuts and you know this is old 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 dallas rocks days not summit so next comment i'm gonna say there was a bunch of people getting real high doing that all the time <laughs> and uh yeah because you're just back there just breathing dust for hours and then, so now we're moving on to the topic, uh, the idea of like someone is building a wall to simulate their projects. Mm-hmm. And I think this kind of goes back to the whole competition thing. Like your projects change over time. Yeah. So, you know, I guess you would really have to kind of build it in a way that is conducive to either the areas that you have access to consistently. Sure. Or the areas that you plan on traveling to and in my opinion i would say building like a 40 to 45 degree wall and maybe a 30 degree but like on 30 i feel like the holes have to get real 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 sharp and real 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 bad yeah in order for you to really make difficulty on that thing yeah, I mean, you know, if it's a situation where, you know, gun to my head, you have to build one angle. For me, I would I would build a 40. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm sure people will disagree with me. Everyone has their their opinion. Mm-hmm. But it's also probably based around the type of climbing that they're doing, where they're climbing at, like you said. You mm-hmm. know, if you're if you're climbing at an area like if you if you're climbing at pre-straw all the time, maybe you want to build a roof. 
because you're going to be climbing on roofs yeah pretty much exclusively there yeah um you know so it's it maybe does depend on exactly what you want which is again you know why the the adjustable wall is better in some ways but obviously that's a a whole other can of worms you know Mm -hmm. And, and it's a different situation too if you're somebody who's just building you know a 12 by 12 wall in their their apartment or their shed yeah. or something versus uh you know if you have a, a barn or if you're in a, a commercial facility and you're designing you know training walls and spray walls for a big commercial facility you know, yeah you have yeah no that makes maybe sense. hopefully some more room to play with than you know a 12 by 12 yeah no no that makes sense that definitely makes sense and so yeah and so you guys can kind of do the math here as far as lumber construction and all of this that we're talking about needs to be built into either a frame or some kind of, I mean, I think building this freestanding would just be a pain in the butt out of lumber. Out of lumber. Yeah. It'd it, be, it could be. Yeah. yeah Cause you, you take up way more space than you need mm-hmm. into. So it's better off just to build it into the existing frame of the house, which hopefully you don't drill into something that you don't need to be doing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, definitely be mindful there. And now, kind of like moving into holds, where um, that's just like I think that's where it really kind of starts. The price starts skyrocketing. Holds are really expensive. It's it's true. I think uh, almost everyone is shocked how quickly it adds up when they're doing their initial hold orders. If you're not familiar with it, you know? yeah. Even if you're even if you're just buying kind of smaller, low profile flat holds or crimps or things mm-hmm. like that, you know, for your, for your home wall, it adds up. It's real it's fast. Yeah. It, it's something that's uh, very important to do your homework beforehand when you're budgeting, because if you do not budget properly, you will have a very blank home wall. Afterwards. So <laughs> let's just say you got like your standard, like what, 32 or 48 T nuts per or eight, four by eight sheet and adding screw ons and that. And I just want to fill in the wall. Like, have you ever seen uh Chris Hampton's, pictures of uh, of his wall yeah yeah mm-hmm. so like that thing is pretty well filled in yeah and i know he's been doing it over the years for a while uh but like if you're wanting to get to something of that level and let's just say we've got a 40 degree wall and then it's like 40 degrees and it nice nice little like curves on the side and it's just a standard 12 by 12 like just ballpark you know it's eight feet tall same like a standard ceiling it's like I want to just fill it in screw ins volumes, like just filling in like what is just a out of this, just a random ballpark number. Um, well, I mean, I mean, if you're talking about, you know, filling it in, hard to say, I mean, 12 to 15,000, maybe oh, if you, if you really want that much that's lower than I thought I was going to think around, like I was thinking of maybe around more like 20 to 25. Mm, it's hard to say, you know, it it really would depend on the hold company, the -hmm. actual size of all the holds you're getting. I mean, if you're, if you're literally just filling it with, you know, single pad edges, um, yeah, you could probably do it for 10 grand for a wall that big, Mm -hmm. maybe less, maybe you could get some deals, you get some seconds and things like that. Yeah. Um, what are seconds? Uh, just like cosmetic defects and things like that. So Mm -hmm. sometimes hold companies will offer deals on, holds that you know don't meet the quality standards essentially which is a really good thing to actually inquire about for those of you that are interested in this kind of thing because it's not always advertising companies and and some don't do it some um and also sometimes it depends on who's manufacturing the holds if they're able to offer the cosmetic seconds or not um a lot of holds are manufactured through aragon 
in Colorado now, which is probably yeah. the biggest manufacturer in the U.S. Or it certainly is. Um, but yeah, there's other companies that um, you know will do either on a regular basis or on on a when it's available basis. They'll offer you know cosmetic seconds, and um, sometimes this is you know as little as a blemish in the coloring. Like some, I, I've gotten some seconds holds before that uh, I could really, I was hard pressed to find what was wrong with the hold, you know, they, oh, they wow. really good. But other times you're going to get the hold and the washer in the middle is missing or it's over poured plastic. It doesn't fit on the wall. Right. Uh, um, you know, you, it, there, there's a myriad of things that can go wrong in the production process. And um, so it's, it's sort of one of those things where you're kind of gambling sometimes with the seconds, but it can be a pretty good deal in a lot of cases, especially if you just need a bulk amount of holds of a certain type, you know? Yeah, I can um, see that. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. a good thing to ask, you know, just to, if you're building your home wall out and you're uh, looking at whole companies, emailing them or calling them, it's it's certainly worth asking if they offer any deals on cosmetic or defects or things like that. Yeah, and so when we're, and we're really talking about holds. We haven't really even di- dabbled into volumes or mm-hmm. fiberglass features or anything like that, flat holds, any of these larger things. And so, I mean, and I don't even want to begin. Like, I remember Jared with Motivation Volumes, and I remember his price point on his volumes. Mm-hmm. And granted, those things were built like a tank, a little over-engineered in my opinion, but they wouldn't break on you, that's for sure. They were tanks, that's true. Yeah, the Pele. Rhino-lined tanks. <laughs> yeah, dude, the, the Pele still is a tank of a volume. Yeah. Do they still, it's still behind the wall at Dallas, isn't it? And it's not currently on know. the wall. Probably. The giant one? Yeah, yeah. The, I'm, the, sh- I'm sure it's back there somewhere. Yeah, the thing Collecting is. dust and, yeah. It's a fun thing to climb on. It's just a monster to put on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So for those of you who don't know, imagine a half soccer ball, but like flat sides of all the little soccer black and white squares. And it's what, like? an eight foot diameter circle. Yeah. I was going to say it's like seven or eight feet. Probably. Yeah. And then it stands what four, like laying flat on the ground. What, like would you say three and a half feet, four feet tall? Yeah. Probably three to three and a half, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, a big one. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it has an eye bolt in the back of it. Mm-hmm. We would have to like three or four people would be holding it on to the wall, screwing it in. And then, but before that happens, someone is in the back and we would tie it off to the framing structure of the wall, put a grigri on it, and just tension it down so it wouldn't move. Uh, and yeah, so in case a screw blows as you're putting on the wall, it doesn't kill someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I just leave it, basically leave it on the grigri loaded or just tie it off. Mm-hmm. I think it would actually take it off the grigri and then just tie it off yeah. so it doesn't fall and murder someone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be... Uh... It would make your day pretty bad quickly. Yeah, yeah I mean, it would be interesting. <laughs> uh, would it make the American Alpine books d- book of accidents? I don't American know, Alp- book of accidents? Yeah, American Alpine Club. They pr- produce a book of accidents every year that happen outdoors. And, like, what are the common things? And it's, like, it's a good thing oh, to read because, kind of like... a morbid like, book. <laughs> oh, dude, it's, it's, it is morbid. But it's actually... I highly recommend every climber who's really thinking about going outdoors... Like just pick it up and read it, and yeah, you're gonna be like, oh, if I'm and you die. won't go climbing after that. You'll just you probably won't close it, and but go back honestly, it, it's it's actually really ironic. Like the number one injury that people have is weather. They just don't prepare. They get caught in rain. Don't bring enough water. 
don't don't oh, bring I'm enough, sure. especially if you're in like an alpine environment, for instance, just or, so unpredictable with the or weather. Or people getting sunburned so bad to the point where they get sick. Like it's mm-hmm. usually weather and not preparate, not preparing for proper weather, whether it's sport climbing, alpine, whatever. But like that's usually like the biggest thing that I there's always stories of that that it's like people yeah. like don't people don't pay attention that like it's raining a mile up the road and then they're walking through a canyon and the canyon flash floods or sh- shit like that. So. Yeah, well, and humans have the innate you know sense that they can just deal with anything. They'll just make it work. You know, nah, bro, nah, bro, <laughs> nah, bro. Yep. Oh uh, man. Yeah. So, but yeah, I I wonder if it would make if it would make the cut. I would petition for it to be in the cut. <laughs> you could ask for it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because this is like a rarity. It would be a rarity. Which, by the way, if you guys are listening, the pay light will not fall on you if it ever goes back on the wall. It's Guaranteed. never going to go back on the wall. I, don't I, I don't hope know. not. That thing is a monster. Mm-hmm. Someone will buy it one day. I guarantee you. Someone will buy it and put it on their home wall and think it's the greatest thing in the world. And well, then they're going to realize it is the biggest nuisance it's, ever. It's probably for sale right now. If you're listening to this and you you know what we're talking about and you truly want it, just go to Summit Dallas and make them an offer. I'm sure they would give it to you right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring your own U-Haul. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, but, I mean, the question of, like, volumes for for spray walls, you know, again, it's sort of kind of what you what you want to get out of it. Um, you know, I, I, I think that... Uh, the smaller your spray wall, the less effective they may be. Um, maybe a few like lower profile volumes could help, you know, mm-hmm. like some smaller triangles and things like that, just to oh, help yeah. change the dimension of certain things, you know. I, I think that e- even if you are someone who is solely training for, you know, your steep outdoor project, there are some good uses for volumes mm-hmm. on, the, on home walls and things like that. Um, you know, just there, obviously, if, if you have climbed enough within gyms, you kind of understand how they can change the terrain of, yeah. of flat panels and how they can force certain movements and whatnot more easily. So there's definitely an argument for using some of them, um, but in the right way, I think it's important, you know, and obviously having a huge, like having a huge cube volume in the middle of your 15 degree wall is maybe not the best use of space. I mean, it can be fun, you know, if you just want to do a bunch of, mantles on top of your wall or something but i remember we we had a cube volume at dallas when we were setting and the only thing it was good for was holding right in soul's coffee yeah that's basically like we literally put it on the wall Mm -hmm. to hold to hold your coffee in the morning other than that it had no purpose yeah we we've had at, at one point um all of the summit gyms had collected quite a few. We had a, a friend of the company who was making volumes, Bob Brown. Oh yeah. I so remember he, he this. had started, he was in his spare time. He had a wood shop in his house and he was making volumes. And, um, someone had got it in their head that they loved cubes. I don't know. One of the owners or probably Kyle, who knows, but, um, <laughs> so we, at, at some point I swear we had 40 or 50 cubes and they would just migrate from gym to gym because they would get used for a few months. People would get tired of them. They would migrate to another gym. I think they all ended up at Carrollton. At one point, I made some stairs out of them. I built some stairs up to one of the old spray walls. Oh, there. that's awesome. Um, yeah, I don't know where they are now. They're probably still in the back, mostly sitting there. Good riddance. They're, 
they're useful in certain situations, you know. I they're kind of fun. Think. I mean, they're fun to climb on. They can be fun. They, they can be really fun. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're, like, bad, but, like, I think it's very easy to go too much in volumes in any particular one shape or anything, and that kind of leads me to another thought. Like, I had a friend who was building a spray wall, and he was like, dude, I bought hundreds and hundreds of holds. And I found the greatest way to make much to save money by holds, and I was like, and he told me how much he spent. And I wish I remembered. And I was like, how did you get that many holds? And he's like, it's great. Will you come and help me set? All of them were screw-ons. Mm, yeah. Everything was a screw-on. Like, literally, and he had no volumes. And he had a 40-degree wall. And he had no volumes. He had a couple jugs, screw-ons. But everything else was just, like, all these little edge jibs and that. And I literally looked at him like, dude, you're setting, like, V25. V25, yeah. Because everything is so bad. Oh, dude. It was like they were all dual techs, Mm -hmm. like little edges. And he was just like, no, it's great. We'll just like stack them on top of each other to make a jug. And I'm like, yeah, we could. We could do lots of things. Really? I mean, really? (laughs) I mean, really? Yeah, you'd have to be, I mean, you'd have to get creative, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. Um, he might be disappointed. Yeah, he all, was. But, I mean, we yeah. end up, I think he ended up making volumes or buying volumes because mm-hmm. he just like, couldn't get off the ground. And I think after after the first pulley injury, I think he kind of got the head. Yeah. But, yeah. but now, that's not to take away. I think screw-ons on a home wall are probably the most underutilized thing because I know a lot of friends, like they don't want to put them on their wall because they're like, I just don't want to chew up my climbing wall. And I'm like, then why'd you build it? Yeah. And I think that's a question you have to ask yourself because like it's going to get beat up and torn up. And I literally had a friend years ago. He's like, well, I want to put screw-ons on because like if it, my rubber, if the rubber and the shoes get up, it gets dirty. I can just like lightly sand it and put a new finish on it. And I'm like, this is not a kitchen table. Like this, like you're you're going for the wrong yeah. purposes. Yeah, I mean everybody has their own desire for what they want of it, I guess. But yeah, I, I, I mean, but that's just stupid. Yeah, I mean, there's that's maybe so you you, you know home walls. Some people refer to them as just woodies because traditionally that's what they are. Is yeah, just plywood with wood, and I personally don't have a lot of regard for how I set my wall in terms of the abuse that it takes. You know, I had a, I had a small wall in the last house that I, that I owned in the, a shed out back. And, um, I actually didn't even teen on it because I just am used to screwing everything on by this point in my life too. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also, you can, you know, with modern advances of beefier washers, companies make washers like the escape makes like the Lone Star and the Ringo from blocks and things like that. They, that work pretty well as, a bolt substitute in most cases, not a hundred percent, but pretty much, especially for a home wall, you can, you could get away with, you know, not teen your wall if you really wanted to. Um, I'm not saying it would be the easiest thing, especially it's just if more time people. consuming to set. It's more time consuming to set a hundred percent. Yeah. I actually made the mistake of, uh, advocating for a spray wall that we built. We built a, a, a really pretty big spray wall in Denton. Um, the Denton gym, I, four or five years ago. I don't mm-hmm. remember. Something like that. And of course I had this brilliant idea to not Tina the wall because I thought it would be, be great. You know, we wouldn't have to worry about moving things around so much. Like we would have to worry about, uh, you know, fitting, like fitting in this, this hole next to this hole, like space wasn't an issue. You know, if you're not confined by the Tina grid in terms of like where holds go, then you uh, can put holes wherever you want, you know, cause we use a lot of larger features yep, on those yep. spray walls, you know? 
And uh, very quickly, I regretted my decision. Uh, it was incredibly time consuming. To, Did they end, to they end up that. taking it down and teenutting it? Didn't I they? think about a year ago. I think during uh, that was one of the the COVID projects during the uh, the quarantine period when the gyms were still closed. I think yeah. that was one of the things that happened was I got re teenutted, or I'm sorry, not re teenutted, just teenutted. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was a mistake on my part for sure. Yeah, I could definitely. I mean, I would hate you for that. I'm not gonna lie. Um, yeah. Well, I hated myself because I was the one that had to set it. So it was, you know, I, I suffered my own decision in this regard. So, you know, I would have felt worse if it was someone else having to, to deal with that. But um, so actually, you know, that kind of brings up two little topics that I want to kind of go into because I want to go into like spray wall theory and like how to actually set a spray wall. Like what's the process? I know it's like big, big to little. It's like a very simple way, simplified way to say that. But um, I think also too is um, oh shit that train that train just left the station and I was like trying to help. Damn whiskey, um, <laughs> fuck, uh, or bleep or whatever. I don't. It's my fucking show. I can say whatever. That's I want. okay. Yeah, you yeah. just add that in post. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So you have theory, and then um, god damn it, with the spray, it was there on the tip of my tongue. Whatever, we'll come back to it. So yeah, but let's just talk about theory. So like when someone's setting a spray wall, mm -hmm. so can you kind of explain like why? I mean, to me, and I think to any route setter and to anyone who's ever put a hold on the wall, the concept from big to little makes sense. Yeah. But can you kind of like dive into that just for a hot second? Yeah, I mean, that's that's for sure the, the most... Uh, the best way to start, I think, from a general perspective is the the large to small theory of, you know, usually when I do a spray wall, I would say I start with volumes first. So mm -hmm. I will, you know, have everything that I need or that I have at my disposal laid out. I'll choose volumes based off of the angle, um, place them usually with some ideas in mind about how they might be climbed through, but also typically I just kind of will spread them out on the wall. Um, is know, there a particular volumes that you, are there particular volumes that are like a no, no on particular angle angles? Um, I mean, just the, I mean, I know it's all subjective. Like we get like grades are subjective. All of it's subjective. Yeah. But I, I, I don't like high profile volumes on regardless of the angle, to be honest, because oh. um, they, they just get in the way, you know, and I mean, obviously we talked about cubes, you know, like th them being kind of ridiculous, like obstructions, but even larger profile, you know, triangles, for instance, like asymmetrical or symmetrical triangle volumes, which mm -hmm. is the, kind of the most common thing that people know with volumes, even the ones that are, are higher profile on steeper walls can sometimes get in the way that can yeah. sometimes force your body away from the wall too much. And in certain situations you, you do want that, feeling of climbing around something, that protrusion, the kind of three-dimensional feel. Mm -hmm. But uh, with a spray wall, you know, unless you're in a situation where you're, like, changing it every week or two, which is very rare, if not, you know, unheard of, it can, it can become stifling when things are... They, when they feel the same when you climb through them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. a lot of times I've experienced situations where I put a really big volume on the wall or a volume that I think will be cool to climb through. And it ends up kind of funneling everything either through the volume or around the volume because of how big it is. So you always end up sort of like 
oh, I'm kind of feel like I'm climbing on it or I'm like, I need to go around it to do a certain move, you know? Yeah. I think that's really only applicable like for slab because I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but like, I think slab is like the hard part where you have to learn how to go around or through something. And yeah. like, you're really trying to glide, especially if you're doing something like where we talk about running or skipping or skating across something. Mm-hmm. I think that's very applicable there. But it is. It's is maybe more applicable there, but I found it, you know, that it, I run into that issue a lot on steep walls. So on, yeah. on 40 and 45 degree angles as well, if the Fair volumes enough. are too big. And again, it, it's, you know, uh, it, it sort of depends on exactly what you're looking at here. I think maybe some people's definition of like higher profile in their mind is different than, than mine. Um, but just generally speaking, I don't like to put on volumes that are tremendously high profile. No, um, I, mean, I, I think it's, it, it, it makes it easier to kind of navigate through them and around them in different and creative ways. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that really the idea with a, with a good spray wall is that you want to have the best number of possible combinations of moves you can do. You know, you want to have like the best setup so that you can always create different and new movement every mm-hmm. time you get on it. You know, the more you're climbing on new types of movement, the faster you're adapting and learning those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's obviously it is good to have, you know, benchmarks. Like if you're setting your project and you're training for it, like trying that kind of thing, that's, there is value in that as well. But um, for me, when I'm designing a spray wall, I'm always interested in creating the highest combination of different movement um, yeah. on the wall. It's kind of the biggest thing. So, so I try to, I try to typically choose like, Lower profile volumes, you know, so the volumes will go on first, then we do the bigger holds, and then the, oh, nice, that, oh, God, the whiskey was good, that one, yeah. Yeah, no, I just, like, just put Drano down my throat, (laughs) or maybe Green Goblin, because it's organic, oh, my God. Um, But, yeah, so holds, uh, macros, some fiberglass volumes, if you have those at your disposal and if they are you know again applicable to what you want to do like again if we're going back to climbing on a wall that's just training outdoor boulders maybe you don't want to have a bunch of you know giant fiberglass volumes on your wall might take up too much space might be kind of a pain in the ass i mean is there not any i mean is do you think there's not a lot of overlap from like actually this is a good no between outdoor and indoor well, no, 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 no. Not so much outdoor and indoor. Like there, there is overlap, but we, but that's that's a whole other animal. That like another side conversation, a rabbit hole. We can go down in a minute. But like, I think of like large fiberglass volumes and things like that. It's more of a competition setting. But like, does yeah. the overlap of training that? I've always felt that it's actually extremely applicable to get you thinking on how to unlock sequences on outdoor boulders, maybe not so much how to climb them stronger and just yarding on effing holds. Yeah, no, there, there's, there's something to be said for this for sure. And I've always, it, I, I've always kind of took issue with the, the idea of, um, and this is more, uh, more looking into, um, root setting in regards to, you know, boulder problems and routes, maybe not so much like spray walls, but the idea of competition setting versus commercial setting or, you know, real rock climbing setting, quote unquote. I've, I've tried to stray away from this for a long time because I do think there's more crossover than people like to, to admit, you know? I think that oftentimes people that feel maybe stymied by a certain style of competition climbing 
uh, it that has maybe led to a lot of this kind of um, you know growing differentiation between like people saying, oh, I you know I don't want or I don't want or like that comp style of compy boulder. boulder, like yeah, like they. Or you, or I'm not good at X, Y, and Z, for instance. Well, it's, I, it reminds me of the old school argument because one of my mentors, Mark Pell, would say this all the time. Like, you know, people are like, oh, I don't like compy boulders that skippy skatey stuff. And then people were like, you know, and I remember the first time I was like, well, I mean, Chris Sharma's strong. And they're like, well, that, that's if you don't like to use your feet and you just jump around all day. And I'm like, but he climbed V10. I mean, yeah, like, I mean, people, it, he climbed the thing. Like, he did the thing that you, like, that other people once thought was impossible. And there was the argument for a while, especially out of these old school trad dads, they're like, well, it's not real rock climbing. Like, I literally remember talking to a bunch of old school guys. I'm out there sport climbing with them, and they literally considered Chris Sharma and a bunch of people not real rock climbers because they're like, well, they don't, He's like, you know, they're not like, you know, they just jump around on routes. Yeah, I mean, and maybe this, it's not the kind of climbing that you want to do, and that's okay. Yeah, and I get that, but you can't take away that it it makes you a better rock climber, period. And and certainly there are extremes to all situations, you know. Like, yes, I I have not personally done a you know, a skate move outside where I've had to run and take four steps before I jump to a hold. Yeah. I'm not saying that doesn't exist. It very well could. Oh, I mean, I, the pogo didn't. I, it, everybody thought the pogo wouldn't exist, and then it came from a real rock climb. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, there's yeah, there's all kinds of examples. I mean, even even paddle dinos are have become you know ubiquitous in in. Well, I wouldn't say ubiquitous. That's an exaggeration, but uh, you can find paddle dinos outside now yeah. in ways that are you know let's say quote unquote forced in in a lot of situations. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of times it just comes down to what people do and don't want to climb, you know, and that's okay. But that's, uh, you can, Ooh. you know, it's your yoga, man. You know, it's, yeah. uh, you, you do what you want. You got to try this, uh, whiskey that, uh, Tucker and Sailor got you. This is definitely Japanese steel barrel, steel barrel. <laughs> oh, you can taste it. You can taste, you can, you can taste the steel, the, uh, the it, discipline of the Japanese in it. You can, taste you can it. taste it. It has a hint of firmness. It reminds me of the small child of riding my bike and fucking <laughs> landing on the pavement and understanding the roughness of life. <laughs> God, that's. I watched yeah. this YouTube video on like how to give like tasting notes, and they were always like, "Don't just talk about like what it tastes. Talk about what it reminds you of." And I'm like. Well, uh, goddamn! Memory, is... memory recall, tasting notes. Yeah, yeah. This is, tastes like nostalgia bike riding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, but... we're talking about. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, oh, like basically, I don't know. I I just want to validate that. Like, and I'm going to speak for myself. Like when I actually started focusing on like compy style climbs and things like that, I immediately noticed two things in my outdoor rock climbing. One my ability to unlock sequences got a lot faster. Yeah. Two, my ability to, I guess, do link-ups got a lot, lot, lot faster. And I guess actually the third thing, which, you know, story of my life, I do things in threes, is I started climbing way faster. I actually started climbing faster. Like, I mean, like fast and furious now. And like people... I've even like I don't try to do this in the gym, but it's just it's just turned into this thing. Like, you know, my friend Lily was she was just like, you climb so fast. Mm-hmm. She's like, it's like I literally had to learn how to belay you. 
And she's like, you climb so fast and you're not afraid of falling and you're not afraid of this. And she asked me like why, how I did that. And I was like, I started working on problems that are like not in the realm. Cause I've, you know, my background is strictly outdoor rock climbing, strictly trad dad. Sure. Like I chased really hard trad routes most of my life uh, before I started like really trying to climb like, you know, your traditional hard sport climbs and things like that. But like my goal yeah. was like five, 513 trad is what I want to do. Do I still want to do it? Yeah, I'm a little psychotic. I'll admit it. Um, I like off with. It's psychotic, but um, different strokes. You know. Yeah, yeah. Off with is a really wide stroke. Um, <laughs> Body length stroke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but I think it's a good point that you're you're speaking to about the crossover. Yeah, I just don't think and people think it's. I don't know. I think more people like to bitch about it instead of letting it actually help you. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, and and it's again. I think it's um, uh, it's not something that uh, I'm trying to force down anyone's throat, so to speak. But I do. I I think that's an important thing to take away is uh, mm-hmm. that it's it's difficult to be uncomfortable when you're pushing yourself and training and things like that. A lot of I think a lot of times people want they're looking for the instant gratification. They're looking for that measure of success, and mm-hmm. you know, and when you're stepping outside your comfort zone in a big way. With, uh, you know, I, like for me, a good example, I guess, would be personally something I experienced uh, a number of years ago. Um, the first one of the first times that we invited um, uh, Roman uh, Krynik from mm-hmm. Slovenia, um, Yanya's coach now, um, but we've had a relationship with him for a number of years. He um, he's come to Dallas a lot and. You know, the, one of the first times he came, we were discussing, you know, more complex movement and more like kind of modern bouldering and whatnot. And and uh, I asked him, you know, to, if I could do a lesson with him because I, you know, I wanted to learn and understand how to do it more myself so that I could teach it better and set it better and whatnot, and, you know, pass it down to the kids. And there was a, you know, maybe halfway through the lesson, there was a move that he set me. And uh, it was a simple kind of jump move, something that now, if you were to see it in a competition or in a gym, you wouldn't think twice about it. You know, you'd be like, oh, yeah, like I see this move all the time. Like it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's normal. Um, I think I tried it for 45 minutes. One move, a single move, maybe over 100 attempts, you know. And I I did the move eventually. But uh, it was incredibly frustrating. It was... uh, very humbling experience for me personally. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to work through that. I mean, it's it's hard to, you know, it was like in the beginning I was like embarrassed and insecure. (laughs) I was just like, I mean, I don't have any illusions necessarily about, you know, me being a professional climber or anything like that. But, uh, you know, I felt relatively confident and the move did not seem hard. And when I did the move, of course, it did not feel hard. The, you know, the constant experience that a lot of people have with climbing at their limit, where once they do something, when you actually execute it, oftentimes it does not feel like you were at your limit. I mean, yeah. there, are, there are times when you do something and you are redlining, you know, especially if you're, you know, say climbing a route, you're incredibly pumped and gripped out of your mind, things like that. But sometimes, you know, it's, it's the subtleties the, the, the things that you, you can't sense without a lot of anguish and without a lot of uh, giving up, so to speak, in that situation. Yeah, I think that's it, though, man. It's like, it's not, it's like, um, 
so I want to say two things here. Like one, everything you want in life, whether it's money, climbing, relationships, anything, everything you want in life is just outside of your comfort zone. So that's like a solid, solid fact. You know, they, they, I don't think anyone can argue with that. And I think the simple things are the hardest things. I don't know. There's this stupid meme going around or video or reel on Instagram going, but people are saying, this woman is saying, destroying things is easy, breaking things, but growing something is hard. Nurturing something is hard. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it just popped in my head and made me think about it. It's like the simpler, think about this, like when we're coaching kids, the simpler the concept, the harder it is to make them grasp it sometimes for me and i'll say that you know i don't know if that happens to you but i know sometimes like the very simple concept and i'm like i just need you to slide your hips think about being on a surfboard and just fall into the hold and it's more of a stand up tilt my chest forward and fall flat on the ground Mm -hmm. every single time and i'm just like yeah i'm like having a brain aneurysm here and just like trying to get them to do this. And I think the simple nuance of things, they're more complicated. And I want to like give a really example. And I, this is like, this is an example I use to coaches when I'm coaching new coaches. Like I'll never forget this. So my niece, when she was seven or eight, I was trying to teach her to how to wisp eggs with that little thing that mm-hmm. has that. And it was just an FMS. It was like splash, 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 splash everywhere. And the fact of the matter, I'm like, no, I need you to just like, like, you see this circle that the fluid is making? Like, just keep that up, but try not to hit the bottom of the bowl. And I swear to you, it took me probably, and she lived with me at this time in our house, it probably took me like a month to get her to do this. And it just was like, and I don't know why I was so obsessed with this. I think it was also to the sound of her clinking a spoon or something across a bowl. And it was like just blood curdling. Yeah. But it took me forever to get her to do that. And it's just, I remember that all the time. And it's like, you know, and then I asked people, I'm like, how, how many of you do that? You know, that do cook or casually cook can like, can you do that? And I've had people walk up to me and it's like, you know, I never thought about that. Like it's a lot harder not to hit, like it's not hard to not hit the bowl. Mm-hmm. It's not hard at all, but it's very hard to actively do it and turn it into straight muscle memory. Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of these things are, are about feeling, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. if, if we're bringing it back to, uh, to climbing. Um, oftentimes when you're trying to articulate these concepts that are, you know, sometimes simple in nature, sometimes very complex, a lot of them are, difficult difficult to articulate with words because mm-hmm. they're about the feeling they're mm-hmm. about the experience of understanding the way your body feels in relation to the wall the holds gravity momentum all these things you know and it's uh yeah it's it's very difficult to articulate it's it's often takes a lot of attrition a lot of beating the head against the wall so to speak uh, you know, certain kids, certain adults, they learn differently. Most mm-hmm. people are, are not, um, in my experience, it's, they're, they're not some, they're not able to learn through me telling them. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, uh, yeah. that would be too easy. 
Yeah, no, it would be. We'd be out of the job. (laughs) It's it makes it sometimes it makes it that much more special when it requires that level of anguish when you're coaching and working with someone. Yeah, because I mean, think about it. When the kid finally does the thing, when they finally do the thing, even in a comp or in practice, like even today, a kid I was coaching, uh, you know, not to since he's a minor, we'll call her G. Uh, you know, um, today she created tension and I was so excited that this little eight year old created tension for the first time, like grabbing onto a hold and simultaneously timing, pushing her foot down and creating tension through the side of her body. I like lost it today in practice. I was like clapping. I was super excited. And, you know, I think I got so excited that, like, I distracted her after the next, like, five moves later. Yeah. But it was super stoked because normally they climb like a noodle. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was a beautiful, 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 beautiful thing. And I think when you finally see that, you know, it's funny you say that. And it's like, but it, that's what makes it worth it in that one little moment. Kind of, like, veering off on this rabbit trail about coaching. No, no, it's coaching, okay, yeah. But, yeah. It's, no, it, it is beautiful. And it's, it's uh, I mean... When you see, when you see someone have that experience, and you can tell that they've unlocked something and they understand it, the the aha moment, so oh, to speak. Yes. You know, that's, yes. I, I like to use that one. That that's special, for sure. Yeah, no, I yeah. would definitely agree. Mm. Mm. Mm, I see what you're, you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, the steel. <laughs> steel. It's, Bicycle crashing. Like, it's just, it's, like, just rough enough at the end, but then it, like, it's like skinning your knee. Or, like, a like skinning your knee or, like, not like a paper cut or something. It's, like, it burns for a hot second, but then it has that, like, rough lingering. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure someone more versed in whiskey could... You know, tell us what we're actually experiencing here, but nah, that's, live your best life, man. It's it's our our version is the truth. <laughs> listen, there are multiple truths in the world, and our truth is just yeah, what reigns yeah, superior at this moment. That's that's the reality we live in. You can make your own truth, no matter if it's wrong or not. It's your oh truth. Oh my god! Oh wow, that's like a whole other thing. But like, kind of going back to this whole like spray wall thing and talking oh, about yeah, roots. Yeah, like, like we were. That's okay. <laughs> it's all rock climbing anyway. Um, but yeah, you know, I think the big thing I want to kind of like kind of bring to the point of people, and I hope you guys realize this, that like, you know, yeah, I'm shamelessly plugging Boone's board. Yeah. I'm shamelessly plugging any board realistically, but like, I, I, I want you guys to consider like, it's a true investment. And I think the question you have to ask yourself is how much of an investment are you wanting to make in your climbing? And I think that's really what it boils down to. Like if you're if climbing is your end all be all first and foremost, I think you need to see a therapist because it's not that important because other things in life are way more important. So I'm going to just go ahead and call you out on that one. And I'm sure someone doesn't like me saying that, but I don't really care. boo boo. And if you're listening to this, it's my show anyway. Um, Sucks to suck. Yep. 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 And uh, second, um, I think once you kind of figure out really what you're trying to do and what you're trying to achieve, you have to look at like the level of investment because I think the one thing that we didn't say is like, you have to keep buying holds. Like if you really want to like get better, like 
you you replace like gyms sell off old holds. I know Chris has even sold off old holds on his walls before that he doesn't use. Like yeah. he doesn't think they're applicable anymore. Yeah. And so like this is a never ending cycle. And the and the part of me and the benefit of buying a board is they just come out with a new hold set. And that whole set, that hold set unlocks a whole new series of routes and boulders and things that are made for you. And some probably the old ones exist. And some uh, walls just come in, come up with fill-in sets. And so you're just getting more bang for your buck. So, yeah, you may be out of, like, you know, eleven, twelve thousand $12,000, whatever we said earlier. Yeah, you're out of it. But, you know, just doing some quick math, let's just say that, you know, you're not building a wall just to stay fit. If you're just, like, you know, trying to get rid of your dad bod or keep your dad bod away, then, yeah, you can get away with this. But if you're actually trying to simulate boulders or create comp style uh, training, I'm going to go ahead and say between the wall and the little bit of the holes that we talk, you're at least 30 G's, 30 yeah. to somewhere between 30 to 20 G's into this. Yeah. And again, it, it totally depends on, you know, all, whatever, all the factors we talked about already, mm-hmm. all that kind of thing. But the, the other part that I think is less discussed too, the, you know, one of the there's a million differences between a standard board, like a moon board, a grasshopper, things like that, and, and a spray wall you're building yourself. But the thing that is not discussed as often is that you have to create the movement yourself oh, when you're doing a spray wall. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, that moon board, kilter board, tension, grasshopper, et cetera, not only have they created these standardized boards, but they have their own apps. They have the boulder problems that you can add, that you can log, that you can test yourself on, you can repeat, et cetera, et cetera. It takes that level of creating out of the equation because I think that there's, you know, I mean, there's a common misconception um, about root setting that it's, you know, people have a lot of ideas about root setting, about what Mm -hmm. it is, what it isn't, how easy it is, how hard it is, et cetera. I think people nowadays more climbers are aware if you're climbing in a gym of you know maybe the job that it takes to be root setter. The I'm sorry, the amount of effort and work that it takes to be a good root setter, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um but uh for instance if you were a bit more of a novice climber and you're building your own home wall at home and you build the wall, you put the holds on that sort of next step of creating the movement that you want, creating interesting movement keeping you engaged that's i think something that not everyone can easily access no it's hard i think it's i think it's a maybe a bit more challenging than people realize to Mm -hmm. come up with something that is the right level for you to challenge you um that is not something that you're just either playing to your own strengths or repeating the same movement same movement over and over again you know I, i think it's there's a lot more uh nuance and thought that goes into it than people realize often yeah, no, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I think about traveling to other gyms. Like, I've climbed in the Bentonville gym and uh, in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And you guys are great, but I'm going to go ahead and say this right now. If you could just have a day where you make half of your route setting crew make the predominantly hard moves with the left hand, because my right arm was so effing tired after, like, a week of climbing in that gym. Like, after a few days of climbing there, just worn out and... I think that's a big thing that people do. It's like you, that's like a a huge tell for me, but like 
I can tell that there's like novice setters or there's not really a setting structure or theme or anything like that. They're just kind of putting holds on the wall. You just, you certain route setters and their names is always dominant on one side or another. And it's, 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 it's kind of a rookie mistake, in my opinion, especially nowadays. Like we're, we're far enough along in the setting industry and the climbing industry where like this should be addressed. Yeah. But I think you are correct. Like creating your own problems is challenging. And I know even for me, I've been making moves for kids forever. Um, I still, when I make moves for myself, the very first thing I'll do is I like, I'll make something. And then I'm like, okay, do I like the question I ask myself is, do I like this boulder? Yeah, I like this. I'm like, okay, then I don't, this is not what I need to be climbing. Yeah. And then I'll, or like, the other way you say, do I like, I don't like this boulder. And then you immediately move on from it or change it. Yeah. You know, and so I gravitate towards like, I don't like this boulder. Okay. I need to get on it. Yeah. And yeah. that's like my all of, that's always my rule of thumb. And like, so when I'm setting for the kids, you know, it's always like half of this boulder I want them to like. The other half of this boulder I want, the, like, you know, this boulder is broken into thirds. One third of this boulder has to be something that they don't like. Yeah. You know, and I try to, as a rule, I always try to put that that part that they don't like, either the second or the third third of it. Because, you know, they, they got to get off the ground and kind of have a field day a little bit. But then it's got to turn on because then that's usually enough for someone to kind of sink their teeth into it. Yeah. And, so then the, it, and there's, so there's like that, that advantage of, of not like with the standard boards, the ones that already have problems made up, mm-hmm. you know, there's that advantage to it of not thinking that's good for both the beginner climber and the Advanced. expert climber who's, yeah. who's training too. Because, you know, for instance, if you're, you know, like the situation you talked about where you're like, Oh, I, I don't like this boulder. This challenges me in an uncomfortable way, but I know that I need to do that. If you are an advanced climber and you're simply just checking off those benchmarks, that kind of allows you to do that in some ways too. Yeah, you're setting does. this goal of going, okay, like I need to do all these boulder problems or I need to do, uh, you know, filtering by style, for instance, on some of the, the apps, mm-hmm. you know, you can filter for the, the types of boulders if they're ranked by style or if they're, you know, tagged by styles, you know, you could say, Oh, okay, I, I, you know, I do not like Gaston moves, but I know I need to get better at them. So I'm going to only filter these boulders and only do Gaston boulders and things like that, for instance, you know, mm-hmm. so there's advantages to, to that of like turning your brain off in terms of not needing to create, not wanting to think about it. You know, all you have to do is hit the button mm-hmm. and go, you know, the lights light up and you do your thing. So there's a, there, you know, again, that's that's a, a a check in the plus column for most people, I think, for for standardized boards. You know, is um, and, and there are a lot of, I mean, there's, you know, I I'm not incredibly familiar with um, uh, you know, the tension board or the grasshopper board because it's it's newer, but you know, the, the kilter board app that I've played with a little bit, there's you know, what is like twenty thousand boulders, maybe more in there. Yeah, or something. yeah. I'm Might- probably under. Yeah. You know, Currently, my two favorite boards to climb on is the tension and the grasshopper. Mm-hmm. I like the tension board because I just like climbing on wooden holds. I feel like my skin just does not get so thrashed. Yeah, no, and I, I, I like climb the tension longer. board as well. Yeah, I just like, have less experience with it because I, I yeah, have less access to it as well. Uh, there's uh, the, oh my God, I can't remember the name, but the original, the, the, there's a gym in Salt Lake. It was right down the street from uh, where the World Cup was being hosted. The front? Yeah, the front, the OG front. Yeah, they have a, a tension board in there and yeah. a full size one, and mm-hmm. it's 
it was the funnest thing to climb on. And I think I, I strictly spent most of my time on that. It was so funny. Like the moon board had like a line on it and I just strictly stayed on that thing because like I said, like, that's, that's my favorite hands down and just like for the record and you know, shameless plug. Like I am, this podcast is sponsored by tension. So I'm going to go ahead and say that now, but Oh uh, really? Nice. Oh, it yeah. is. But fuck all. Yeah. I don't even care because if you climb on wooden holds, your skin, you just save more oh, yeah. skin. No, I, I know. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, uh, I, I mean, I, I've known Will Anglin, the, the founder of Tension, for a long time. He and I used to to work together and climb together in Maryland all the okay. time. So, I didn't know I that. Mean, yeah, I've, I can I've I can remember him making some of the first wooden holds and bringing them to to Earth Tracks and then climbing on them in his his garage or rather the shed at his parents' house there. So yeah, yeah I've seen the the beginnings of some of that before. So and I I think it's you know that was a a smart decision on his part to kind of you know, fill that void in the market yeah. of a, a training product that's, you know, that was, I think that's a big part of it is keeping your skin in good condition. That's a huge component for rock Yeah, because, like, I think it's one of the big things. Skin maintenance. At well, a high level, it's it's incredibly important. Oh, yeah, but like, it's one of the biggest things that, like, you know, I'm, it's, I'm finally talking to some of these kids about it, but I talk to adults about it all the time. They're like, how do you, like, how do I not get these giant flappers? And the biggest thing I always tell people, I'm like, don't slam them. on jugs. That's yeah. It. Well, don't slam dunk on jugs. Like I do this all the time. I have people ball up their hand as a fist and I'm like, I'm like, how do you open a door? Like pretend my hand is a fist and they like gently grab it with all four fingers and they turn the knob and they push. And I'm like this. So do that with your climbing. And they're like, how do I like it's dust in your hand? That's the only way to climb. And all of them are like, when it's a jug, they're like, this is what you do. Just like slap your hand on it. And that's why you're like ripping it all apart. Like, I don't know. It's just, it blows my mind, but. Thanks, Will. <laughs> Thanks, yeah, no, Will. I think I, I think they make amazing products, um, and yeah, I think they've done a a great job to kind of fill a avoid a void in the in the climbing world. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think it's I think it's very important, so. and so yeah, that would probably be like you know my dream my dream training dojo barn slash whatever in the house mm-hmm. spray wall grasshopper tension. And then, you know, mini CrossFit gym. Yeah. And then after that, I mean, like, you can send anything you want. Of course. At, the, at, at, that, that, point. at that point, there's no excuses left, right? Yeah, no, it's, I'm just, it's just me being a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, no. you know, that's a whole other topic in itself about uh, oh, yeah. avoiding that. podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, that's like a whole other animal. Yeah, but, you know, ultimately, I think what, like, this boils down to this is, like, you got to figure out what works for you. And I think you kind of stated it very well in the beginning. Like, like, what is your intention? Like, really, what are you trying yeah. to get out of this thing? Because if you don't know that, I mean, you can sink a lot of money into something dumb or waste your time or mm-hmm. you just like, like there's just a lot of. Yeah. I don't know. And there's a lot of uses for them, too. You know, like with with um, with a big enough spray wall with enough holds, uh, you know, you can you can adequately climb or train for root climbing as well. I mean, this oh, yeah. Is, this is what the first applications that I learned about for spray walls were for training for roots, essentially. And I mean, this was How so well, the so my introduction to spray walls in general for like using them as for training was through uh, the Spanish coach, David Macia. Mm-hmm. Um, he's actually um, the coach of uh, uh, Alberto, the guy who won the gold medal. Oh. Um, 
he uh, and he has he's very decorated uh, coach. He used to coach uh, Patchy Usobiaga, Ramon Julian. Oh, he coached Patchy. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's. I mean, he, he has a uh, Idu Maran. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, he, he has a, a very robust record, um, and uh, so I, you know, one one way or another, I kind of learned about him and his training, and this was uh, more than a decade ago. You know, seeing pictures of him training in these small, dingy gyms with a wall just covered in holds, and they were training for for lead competitions and for outdoor climbing, but you know, just doing circles. They were just doing. 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 move circuits in circles on these small boards, you know, sometimes just even like 10 by 10 or 12 by 10 and things like that. And, um, you know, resistance training in a way that was maximizing the space that you have, essentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, He actually, I had the chance to work with him, you know, again, this is probably 11 years ago now, maybe, maybe more. We flew him out to Maryland and, he worked with us for probably a week or so, and that was kind of the first time that he, I was able to actually talk to someone and learn about it in that regard. Um, there wasn't many people that I know of, at least in the U.S., that were really doing that kind of training at the time. I think maybe, you know, here in Texas, they were probably doing it at the time some, and, um, you know, I can uh, maybe maybe Seattle, um, maybe Claudia might have been doing it at that point. I'm not sure, but. It was still, it was pretty new from my understanding at that time. It was like actually just the concept of a spray wall at all. I think for a lot of people, they just were like, well, it's just a bunch of holds on the wall. Like, there's no, yeah, it makes no sense. like, what do I do with this? You know what I mean? Which is, again, maybe going back to the whole idea of root setting for yourself a little bit. But anyway, yeah, that was the, I mean, back then they weren't training for bouldering competitions. At least he wasn't. Mm-hmm. You know, Duffied, when he Let was me get you to, he was, can I grab you to, Move it a little bit closer to you. You're just facing me. No. Let me let me help. Like this? Oh yeah, it's more centered now. Oh yeah, I'm gonna get some. Do I? I don't put the microphone in my mouth. Are you sure? Yeah, I mean, you can do that, but I. I Cheyenne's already be pissed. That's okay. <laughs> God. <laughs> Oh my God. So yeah, that was, uh, I mean, that was my introduction mm-hmm. to using, you know, a spray wall and a training board in that way. Um, and then kind of the first iterations that I built and trained on were kind of like more symmetrical boards, to be honest. Like, um, really? Yeah. Um, I mean, probably around the same time or maybe before, maybe a little after or something. Um, you know, companies like, um, I think, maybe it was eGrips that had developed one, I think. They, they developed some system holds, a system uh, training board. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it was eGrips. Yep. Yeah, they had, uh, they had oh. a set of system holds that were designed to be set up in a symmetrical or mirrored pattern. Yeah. Wow, man, you're like ripping cobwebs off the brain here. I haven't yeah, seen I'm, those in years. I'm what, also, I'm trying to recall things that are, are buried deep within. Um, psyche, Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I can remember building one of, remember building a system training wall. Initially, it was symmetrical, and then it kind of evolved from that point. I think we're going to see, you know, I'm willing to bet money we're going to see a resurgence of that kind of thing coming out of a lot of people. Like 
it's kind of like systems, like mirror boards. Like we're, I think we're going to see a resurgence of that. I'm like willing to bet money I, on that. Yeah, that was so. I was uh, the. You know, tension has their board. I believe. Yeah, they, they have a mirror board. Yeah, it's, good. it's good. Like that, well, one that was good. That was then, what was in Dallas forever. Yeah, that that was the one I built. Yeah, it was the the faux tension board. <laughs> um, we yeah, we ordered all the all the holds. Well, not all the holds, but I ordered a bunch of holds, and I don't even know if the tension board, as a concept, really existed then. It must have. I don't know. I, I think can't it remember was, anything. It was probably an experiment. Anyway, I made stage. my own, and it was a, a symmetrical one, and it was yeah. You know, but the, the the grasshopper board, for instance, too, that was uh, another one where I was initially skeptical of the idea that it was kind of symmetrical or mirrored. Uh, but I was pretty happy with it when I climbed on it. Actually, yeah. I thought it was still very versatile. Um, I, I was it was much better than I thought upon first. Yeah, I mean, I'm just not gonna I, lie. I had some some bad experiences, or I just some it, it got stale for me. The, yeah. Those types yeah, of system yeah, boards in that. the past, they became stale for me quickly. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I was pleasantly surprised with that. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I I definitely had my skeptics about it when I first saw it because I was just like, hmm. Then when after getting on it and then really kind of like having a nice long session on it, I got to have like eh, like 30, 45 minute session after getting warm, kind of going ham, and I was surprised as well. I was very surprised that like, like I. The misconception is is. The holds don't have to be bad to create challenging movement and to create even grabbing decent holds at a, in, in a very this prime example, like the movement that Roman made for you. It doesn't have to be gnarly holds. If the movement is challenging, just sticking the move is still hard and you're still going to learn and you're still going to get better. Yeah. You know, and so... Yeah, no, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah. So when was like, so kind of going back to that training that you were doing with him. So that was your first introduction with spray walls, kind of using them more for rope climbing and rope circuits. Cause that makes sense. Cause we used to have like mini spray walls, like, uh, the first spray wall actually at, uh, Dallas gym was actually downstairs right on the, right when you go to the right side of the Canyon with the rope side that first section of the wall actually used to be the gym spray wall. That yeah. was the whole massive site back in the old D rocks days. And we would do uh arc training on it all the time. Three minutes on like mm -hmm. one minute, one minute on one minute off two minutes, so on and so forth. Uh, and that's what we used to do all the freaking time. Yeah. And I think nowadays the one thing I've noticed, and I, I, I got to give it to Kyle for this one, like, most gyms that I go to have the most rinky dink spray wall or they have this like version of it up that I'm like, it shouldn't even be that. Like, for example, like you guys are wonderful people. I super enjoyed climbing at your gym, but the front, the OG one, their spray wall is a joke. Like, like it's not, it's just not good. Like it could be so much better. Mm -hmm. Like they really have a really nice wall. They have a really nice space for it, a really nice dedicated room for it. And it's right across from the moon board. But it could be, I mean, it could be really good. And it's just not. It's just yeah. like, it's just like this forgotten child. And I remember when I was using it there, I warmed, like, I warmed up in the gym. I ran around. But, like, the holds were so good on the spray wall that I just warmed up on that for, like, 20, 35 minutes. And people yeah. are, like, watching me. And they're, like, oh, what are you doing? I'm, like, well, I'm warming up. They're, like, well, don't you want to just, like, do your hard moves on the moonboard or on one of the other things I'm like no this is great i can just like 
make up things that I don't like. And I think yeah. it was one person, this one other guy showed up and him and I had like a five minute conversation about using that wall. And he's like, you're the only other person I've ever seen using this thing. I'm like, well, how often does it get used? He's like, I think there's only like maybe 10 of us that actually use this whole wall. And to yeah. me, that's like, you're yeah, losing dollars on that space. Like, either, which I prefer you not to do this, but either change it to another board or put some more effort into it or create something because, like, that's literally, like, you're losing dollars on that square footage. Yeah, I, I think the issue here is understanding of how to use it. And, you know, a board, a standardized commercial board, is you're going to get much more bang for your buck in a commercial gym, Adam. Yeah, because I agree. a lot of people don't really know how to make up the things that they want or the things that they need on a spray wall. If they have someone coaching them or if they have a partner who's helping them, it's substantially easier. Even if you're literally just doing like a stick game, just pointing moves as you go, you know, which is again how I started too. It was like, yeah, okay, we'll just keep going. 25, 26. Just, we're going to go till you get pumped and fall off. You know, that was the initial spray wall experience for me was just like, are you going to mix? Oh, so this is going to be uh steel Oak now. Is this what we're going with? Yeah. Right. We're going to go steel. Why does that sound? That sounds like, sounds like the name of a band. Yeah. That's something next, you would my, hear my at Bonnaroo. Album. That's my next album. Steel, steel oak. oak. You have to play the steel guitar, <laughs> which is very well, hard to play. Yeah, I, yes, it is. Um, of course, now I can't remember now, but um, yeah. So th that's it. That's maybe a, for commercial gyms. You know that that's that's the hard part. I think is that they oftentimes they build these spray walls. Uh oh, this is gonna be dangerous. Go, just take a little sippy sip. You know, they kind of cancel each other out. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was going to be harsh, but it was it's actually. Yeah, no, that was, um, that was actually quite nice. It mellows it out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it was definitely less of less of Joe's, more of the other one. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Sorry. More, I, more I, Japan. I, yeah. No, it's OK. I, I'm uh, I'm musing in a different direction now. I'm, I'm not totally sure where I was going with that, but. Just that, yeah, just that I can see why uh, it might and, and often does come across as a a wasted area or a waste of space for, for a lot of people. Especially so like if I you... were a manager or a gym owner, I would, I would go, yeah, I see like four people on that wall a day. Okay. So, but you know? like, how would you, to the layman listening to this, like, how would you encourage them? Are there any rules of thumb? Like, I gave mine, but like, are there any rules of thumb or anything that someone can do to like when they are trying to make these problems and they are trying to do this, like, like how should they go about it? Don't do it by yourself. I would say is the first thing, if you can get away with it is, uh, you know, in the beginning, especially is not training by yourself. I think it's easy to, again, set what you want or set what you hate. Um, or I would say like the level, like oftentimes it's something where you set, you set something and it's either too easy or too hard. And you don't know how to adjust the level properly. That is a really common thing that I see with people who are trying to train themselves. Is that they'll set themselves. A, 
say, a 10-move boulder problem that they mm -hmm. want to try. And uh, there's a, a common experience where either they, they pull on and they do the boulder quickly and they go, oh, that was way easier than I thought it was. You know, I didn't, I didn't have to try. Yeah. Or they yeah. pull on and they can't get off the ground. And, you know, every move is substantially harder than they think. They misunderstood, they underestimated, you know, the type of movement, the holds, blah, blah, blah. There's lots of things. Yeah. And so it's uh, easy to be discouraged, I think, in those kind of situations, you know? You, you end up feeling like you didn't get the workout you wanted out of it. You didn't get, like, oh, the experience yeah, that you yeah, really yeah, wanted, yeah. the type of training that you wanted to get. You know, it's maybe a little bit easier in some ways to make uh, endurance circuits by yourself in certain ways, especially if you're solely climbing and training by moves. That's something that used to be common years ago was, like, uh, especially for long endurance climbing, was, like, I need to do X number of moves today. You know, I need to do a thousand moves or something. Today. Oh, I Things remember like that. that you know? People were like, Adam Andra does a thousand moves. It's like 3,000 moves a day or something like that. Like yeah. There was, there was some, like someone, I don't know. I remember someone yeah, this, saying that This to was me. common, especially, you know, a decade ago, maybe even a little bit less than that, was that people would, would give these goals of, uh, you know, like I can remember, you know, Patchy talking about him climbing like 10,000 moves per week kind of thing, you know, or just he's... Goals that were, again, more based around long endurance, mm -hmm. you know, um, more applicable to um, routes, competition climbing, which has changed a bit. You know, it's it's certainly not solely about endurance anymore for rope climbing either for for lead competitions. Um, so it's it's easier maybe for someone to jump into that kind of world though and train, you know, a more general endurance climbing on that level so i would say like if i'm you know if i were going to the red to climb for instance oh. say if i'm like okay i i want to go and you know i'm training to climb you know bohica in the madness cave or something any, anything in the madness cave where essentially the most important thing is my fitness yeah my ability to climb at a certain level for a prolonged period of time Maybe a little bit easier in some ways to train on a spray wall and get fit in that regard. Um, you know, doing lots of longer circuits, doing 15 or 20 moves three times in a row, you know, re repetitive things where you're just building the, the resistance, so to speak. So that kind of brings up a funny thing that, you know, I've heard this argued before. Like in the red, you just need fitness. In rifle, you need beta. So <laughs> more true than it isn't. Yeah. yeah. So like, so where, uh, so like, is there anywhere in the country that you can think of that is like a good mix of both? Cause I know like in my experience, like definitely red, I, I would agree the red, you need fitness rifle, you need beta. And like, um, I would say like, um, but like, like El Salto is somewhere I've climbed where like you need a little bit of both mm. because some of the routes are like pretty straightforward and you can get that. And some of them are just like, some of them are cryptic. Some of them are real cryptic. And it's just like these like really stemmy moves all of a sudden to these kind of like real dynamic things going on. And then you're like, next thing you know, you're like straddling a two foot just for yeah. a break. And so, it's funny, but like in America, um, and for those of you who don't know, El Salto is in Mexico right outside of Monterrey. 
Monterrey. Said that a little weird, but um, um, would you? Where would in America would you say is like a good mix of both? I don't know. I mean, for sport climbing, like, yeah, America doesn't have, in my opinion, doesn't have amazing sport climbing the way that Europe does, for instance. Why? You know, uh, just maybe it's the type of rock, the geography. I'm not sure exactly. I mean, I think. I'm not saying that there are some great crags. Yeah, no, I mean, there's still stuff to be explored. You know, but I I think that there actually is probably better bouldering overall in the Mm -hmm. U.S. than there is. In terms of, this is, everything's subjective. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm just looking at this. Yeah, I know. In terms of, uh, you know, where I've climbed, um, I would say that there's maybe more more variety of a higher quality of bouldering than there is um, sport climbing. Um, uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, there, there are areas that are really defined in certain ways. You know, the red really defined by fitness. Uh, you know, Yosemite, for instance, is not a sport climbing crag. It is a everything crag, but it's, I would say primarily big wall, traditional climbing, more, more what it's known for. So even if we say rope climbing, versus bouldering we don't necessarily have to say sport climbing because there are there is a lot of good trad i would say that there's you know for instance traditional climbing has a much deeper and richer culture in america than it seems to have in europe yeah i would agree with that there's a very rich culture of alpinism in europe um but not so much for trad climbing and a lot of that i think is just maybe the the types of rock doesn't lend itself to that much crack or natural features that are actually protected have you done a lot of traditional i've done a decent amount i mean it's been a long time since I've plugged gear. I think it's that's actually close to a decade now since I've placed any gear. Uh, what, but do you have a favorite type of climbing? Or no, no favorite place and type. Um, I imagine you like the boulder more. So all almost all the traditional climbing I've done is on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, the Gunks is very nice, um, especially Classic. if you are interested in climbing a lot of moderate and lower end stuff. Although I will say. Beware the plus grade at the Gunks. Uh, five nine plus could mean literally anything. Uh, there's some routes that were put up there many many decades ago, and the plus uh, the plus could mean a very hard boulder problem. I, I will say that. Yeah, and there were I, you know it's just I've a, heard that it was a different different time. You know there were things where they would go. Oh, this, it's a different age. This, this one move was really hard on the route. You know you read this in the guidebook. So there's, there's a hard crux at this and. It does not give away the type of <laughs> a difficulty that you're really facing the way you would if you're on a five nine plus sport route, for instance, in a, mm-hmm. in a more modern crag. You know, I think you know for people that climb in and around Dallas, a lot of them have climbed at Horseshoe Canyon, for instance. You oh know, yeah, climbing five nine five ten there, fluffy a grades, very very different experience than climbing yeah. in the Gunks, for instance. Yeah, I would call that um, the fluffy grades. Yeah, and just a different style of climb. Even if you're looking, you know, even if I remove those outliers where, like, there's a 5.9 plus that has, like, a V7 boulder in the middle of it for some mm-hmm. stupid reason. Uh, well, not stupid. It's just the way the rock is, the way the climb is. Um, yeah, it, it's... Anyway, there's, it's a different time, a different world. So, But I think the Gunks is an is a amazing place for traditional climbing in the yeah. U.S. Obviously, you know... I, you know, the bastion would be Yosemite. I've never climbed there. Um, oh. Personally, it's it's a it's beautiful. You know, it's just, it's just, it's a a black mark on my 
record as a climber that I still have not been to Yosemite. No, nah, don't worry. It's not going anywhere. Uh, I hope not. I hope not. No. Nah, um, I mean, it's a lot of granite to get rid of. Yeah. There's actually a, a lot of very good traditional climbing on the East Coast. No, I mean, um, I mean, there's a top. I mean, well, I mean, North the, Carolina has some great traditional. Oh, climbing. dude, dude! Like, um, a, one of my standing goals is I want to do glass menagerie, mm-hmm. which yep. that's a proud, proud line. I want to aid it first, get the beta, and then I want to try and tr- try and do a ground ascent mm-hmm. and like just piece it together. I yeah. would love to take a season of just like, yeah, I don't know. I imagine for me, I would imagine it take me about three weeks, three three weeks to a month. To kind of like put it together, kind of piece it together, and mm-hmm. then hopefully get a send at the end, by the end of it. Yeah. To to do it because I mean it's it's a proud line and it's also I think it, like it's one of the kind of like the gold standards to do if you want to go do mm-hmm. hard lines in the valley. Yeah. Um, and going from there, my favorite place to climb for, for trad probably is Unaweep Canyon. Unaweep, okay. Casey yeah. Blum, the man's an asshole. And the every nicest sense of the way, a lot of that stuff he bolt he put up, uh, he did on aid and just gave it a grade. Mm-hmm. And so, like I've climbed a lot of routes there, and that's probably hands down because it's got a, it's nice. It's got a really good amount of face trad. It's got a, some flaring stuff. It's got some. It's weird, and it's like it's almost three different forms of granite that all kind of conglomerate there. And Unaweep itself is actually really, it's a really beautiful place because um, it means uh, a river with two mouths. So the river actually flows in two different directions from that way. So it's like, uh, it's 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 a really gorgeous place. But it has a very special place in my heart um, for climbing there because it's just, it's it's not for the faint of heart. I'll put it that way. Like one of yeah. my favorite routes there is probably called Denotement. And it is not for the faint of heart it is committing it is doable but like you kind of have to go in it with the you kind of have to go into that place climbing with the mindset i'm in it to win it because if or if not you know you're leaving some gear behind Hmm. and so but i like that that's kind of like i mean that's just the style of climbing i like like i like things that are bold a little desperate things that you have to agree you have to agree you have to commit and agree with your partner before you leave the ground like we're going to get this done today. Um, don't get me wrong. I love the other stuff that's cushy and fun, but I gravitate towards climbs where, like, we're making a firm commitment that, like, this route is going down today. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I need to I need to up my, my tread resume quite a bit still. There's a lot that I haven't. Do you want to? Yeah, I would like to at some point. I don't have the, like, particularly burning desire at the moment, but Mm -hmm. I will say that I am certainly a lot more curious now about uh, mixed climbing. And Oh yeah, that's fun. That shit's shit's the jam. I would, I would, I would, uh, I'm very interested in, in doing some, um, some more Alpine routes. And so it requires more diverse skills. It requires me to, Mm -hmm. um, you know, become more comfortable with that. Um, with, with traditional climbing again. And are with, you wanting to do alpine like snow and glaciers or you just wanted to do like actual alpine just like face climbing? Both. I would like, I mean, I would like to do some alpine rock, but I would also like at some point to do some, yeah, some alpine mountaineering as well. Yeah. So alpine mountains, a little bit of a, um, 
double down there. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm interested in in doing different things that I have not had a lot of experience in. Even you know, I I've done I've done some multi pitch climbing, not a lot, nothing nothing big, you know, nothing more than a a half day, that kind of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, seven eight pitches maybe at most. So I've never done anything truly big, so to speak. Um, you know, I've never done any true alpinism or mountaineering, things like that. You know, I've mm-hmm. done some, uh, you know, I, I've done a few 14ers, but they were ones that do hiking, you know, nothing, yeah, no, uh, nothing, I get nothing that. that required technical climbing or things like that. But I'm interested in doing it because I love the environment. I love being in that kind of position and, and feeling. Um, and I do have a, um, I don't know. I have a desire to suffer. I'm I'm pretty good at oh. I'm pretty good at endurance, to be honest. I, I wish I uh, had yeah. forced myself to do it more in the past because I found that I actually have a, a pretty good predilection to um allow myself to suffer for, for a long period of time, which is you're nice. on the right podcast, Sends and Suffers. Oh, that's right. Oh God. Yeah, the it's an you? omen. You know, it's funny. So I'm gonna okay, so I wanna first give the caveat what i'm a, the story i'm about to tell i do not encourage anyone to do this in any way shape or form i was young and dumb so i'm gonna go ahead and say this now i'm young and dumb but do you remember when we took our first setters trip arkansas yeah <laughs> yes i remember this yeah and chris and i got a little shitty and chris was like i just want to climb trad i was like all right let's go and then Chris was like, we're going to do this route. And he's like, I want to do this route. And I was like, I was like, Chris, we're going to do this 11C. And he was just like, what? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you'll be fine. And he got up. And I don't even remember, but he, like, did the first pitch, kind of, like, throw, no, not even, it was a single pitch, but he was, like, having a knip shit. And he's like, we're not going to do this route. And I just remember putting on my headlight, taking an extra shot of whiskey. We were already pretty sauced at that point. And it was this double splitter. And I just like led the whole thing, got up and brought up. And Chris was just like suffering through the whole thing and going through that. Yeah. And then I remember I was like, you want to go up? And you were like, absolutely fucking no, not. No, I was in no position. Also, I my my recollection of that was more so that Chris was absolutely terrified belaying you. Because you would just get to sections on the route and you would just go, mm. I don't, th- I don't think I can place gear here. I'm going to keep going. And Chris would just look at me with a, you know, pure terror in his eyes. Like, this is, why are we doing this right now? This is a, a terrible idea. Which is, you know, probably a classic experience that a lot of climbers have had at some point yeah. in their life. If they if they do this long enough, that they uh, are in a position where they're second-guessing everything that put them into this situation that they're in right now. But, yeah. What? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh my god, I forgot. Decisions were made. Yeah, you know, it's funny, like you say that, and I also think like that's like a really true thing. Like you kind of have I think that's the big thing with track climbing that I think a lot of people don't I think a lot of people I've coached and trained and a lot of people get hemmed up on they're like, Well, I gotta place a piece of gear every body length. I gotta do this. And it's more along the line, like, you know, like the flow is going really well. Once you get a little resistance, you know, plug some gear. But I think I just I've been in that situation a lot where I, friends of mine, I've said that same thing where people are like, why didn't you place gear here? I'm like, there wasn't needed. And I'm not like running it out to be dangerous or anything like that. But I definitely remember saying that. And I definitely remember 
and Chris went up there and he was just like, why didn't you place gear there? And I'm like, we, did you think you could place gear in that spot? And he was like, no. I'm like, I'm not going to stand there. And in my mind, it's more dangerous to stand there for like 10 minutes just trying to screw around and get my feet tired and my fingers worn out and just look up and I'm like, there's an obvious place I can place a piece of gear up. Well, it's that's like certainly way more true dangerous. that the longer, you, the longer you wait, the more doubt will build. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Well, and the more you can find things to go wrong, find ways to sabotage yourself in certain situations. Oh, time like is that, energy. Yeah. It, time, time and energy are an, like, especially on big trad routes, time and energy are an equation and they constantly go into it. Cause the more time you spend, the more energy you lose, yeah, but the more energy, yeah. you, the more energy you exert, the less time you have to be on the wall. So it's really this like, balancing act between these yeah. two things mm-hmm. that you kind of have to keep going all yeah. the freaking time that yeah was, that was yeah. a good trip yeah that was fun that was i think that was seven years yeah. ago maybe? yeah i was about to say mm-hmm. wow wow that was mm-hmm. uh, it was what who all was on that trip it was me you was it logan i think it was actually just the three of us because no yeah. there was someone else there than the three of us i don't know I, maybe we met somebody there, but I want to say someone else was in the cabin with us. There's four of us in that cabin. I remember four or five. Cannon was there. Was he? I think Cannon was there. I don't know. You you could convince me, but uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll one of them will correct us when they hear this. Yeah. Oh my god. Well, sir, I I, I want to bring this to um, a little bit of a close here, but I definitely want to do a recap with you at some point in time. Yeah. When you're in Salt Lake. Uh, but I want to, I definitely want to give you an opportunity. I don't know if there's any shout outs or anybody you want to say, anything you want to say hello to anybody. And then also the question I always like to ask is, is there, um, how can people follow you or how can people search you? Or if you want to remain a ghost, you can just go full like ghost recon style. Uh, my license plate number is, uh, no, um, (laughs) yeah, no, I, I, uh, I don't know that I have much to promote. At this moment, because I, uh, you should promote yourself. I mean, you're freelancing now. Um, that's true. I am going to attempt to do some more freelance work with myself. Um, I have done quite a lot of coaching, root setting, uh, in the last couple of years as well. I've done quite a bit of, uh, instructional courses for both coaching and root setting. Um, and that's something I'm definitely passionate about and interested in doing more. So, um, yeah, people can contact me if, at their will if they're interested in, you know, uh, learning more about these kinds of things or if they would like to solicit some advice from me. Uh, I am on the internet. Um, the, the interwebs. The interwebs. Yeah, the world wide webs. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't do a ton on social media, but I do have it um, on Instagram at least. And, uh, yeah, I don't have a, I don't really have an, an agenda or any kind of, you know, shout outs at the moment, but, uh, shout outs to whoever wants to hire me in Salt Lake city. I would say if you're, uh, if you're in need of a, a coach or a root setter or, uh, simply someone to wax philosophy about things that no one really cares about, you know, I mean, someone cares about someone it. Someone cares. Yeah. Know? Someone definitely does. Yeah. I mean. You know, I have a I have a very limited skill set, but I am I am passionate about those skills. So I would love to uh, to continue to be in this industry for for you know many years to come. Let's say, sure. 
You know, actually, one more thing before we sign off here, but like, what do you think are the two biggest changes in the industry commercially from a gym standpoint and just kind of maybe like overall from when you started till now? Like, what are the two like, like obvious things? Oh, well, maybe more of that, but is there something that stands out to you that's like, this is the biggest change that I've seen? Well, probably the first thing that comes into my head is, is maybe the barrier to entry is a lot lower than it used to be. You know, when I, when I first started climbing, um, well, I mean, I like, I tried climbing when I was really young. I did like a boy scout thing and, Mm -hmm. um, but the, the, when I was, uh, I don't know, maybe I was 19 or something. The first time I like went to a real climbing gym and, the atmosphere was much different back then. You know, yeah. when I, when I walked in, it was, um, it was, it felt very, very elitist in a lot of ways. It yeah, was, it yeah, was, I would it agree was much with that. like, you know, I came in and I wanted to climb and there, you know, it was, well, do you know how to belay? Like, do you know the knots? And, uh, no, not really, but I'd like to climb. I'd like to learn, you know, nope. Come back when you know how to do it. You know, that was, that was really kind of the attitude, at least my experience, you know, when I first started out is that there was a, a very high barrier to entry. You essentially had to have a mentor. Mm-hmm. You know, you needed that experienced mentor who knew what they were doing to teach you how to climb the rope systems, how to not die, how to like all this important stuff, you know? Yeah. There were very few classes. There were very few opportunities to learn, um, you know, in a commercial setting, I would say. And that has changed drastically. Yeah. I mean, Pretty much anybody with a pulse can walk into a climbing gym now and get on the wall pretty quickly. Yeah, um, agreed. You know, not not to say that it's necessarily less safe in any way because you know there are countermeasures that have happened as well in terms of the safety in climbing gyms and things like auto belays and, and whatnot. But yeah, that that barrier to entry into climbing is way different. You know, it's it's much less of a you know a exclusive rebel club you know that was mm-hmm. that was the feel of it was it, not only was it kind of elitist but it was like you know you felt like you were <laughs> felt like you were almost like breaking the law certain times you're yeah, climbing no, like, i know like exactly you were at a what you're, you're like you're not supposed to be doing this you know you're, yeah, you're not no. supposed to be outside throwing ropes over cliffs and, and climbing them and things like that and that's uh um that's changed a lot it's it's uh, the expectations and uh the way that people see climbing outside of the hardcore community of climbers mm-hmm. has changed a lot you know it reminds me of uh the first time i went to a climbing gym and volunteered they were teaching me how to like wash the holds and this guy was smoking a cigarette and washing the yeah. holds with muriatic acid and i'm like this is not safe yeah i was like this cannot be okay and he's like yeah just pour the acid in it's okay we're great yeah. And I'm like, mm, yeah, like I? you should, you, you, someone should do a, uh, a comparison gallery, a photo gallery. Of, they should do a, uh, the stone masters versus the Olympics. That's what they should do. Oh, that's they good. Do, they should do uh, the, you know, alternating slides between 1970s and Yosemite <laughs> with 2021 at the Tokyo Olympics. They're not, oh my God. It's, it's like, not comparable. It's, no, it's I, mean, not. I mean, there, there are, you know. There I mean, are this, things that are, but I mean, this is like our ancestors. This is like our great ancestors before electricity is on. They're going to be looking at this like, what am I looking at? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, those, there'll be a small correlation, but for the most part, 
Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Wow. So it's... obviously, yeah, I, my, I can't, you know, I can't say that I have experience <laughs> being a stone master or living in that period of time. Uh, but uh, yeah, we've come, we've come a long way, even even since I've started. You yeah. Know? Um, you know, and whatever coming on, I guess around twenty years of climbing or something like that for me, and it's it's uh, just the feeling has changed a lot. It's it doesn't feel like a. Uh, you, you can still the thing is you can still get these feelings in certain ways like if you want to be a dirtbag you can still do that yeah. and and that can still exist and that can coexist with climbing in the olympics yeah and i yeah. i think that i think that both of those things are great both of those things are climbing and both of those things should be celebrated you know i yeah. think it's it's awesome that there is that much diversity within the sport, within the life, the you know, lifestyle, quote unquote, of being a climber, you know, um, but there's a lot of variance in it, you know, and you can kind of make it what you want it to be. And that, that soul still exists in a lot of places. So, yeah, no, I would, I would 100% agree with you on that because there's a lot Climbing, as you said, has changed a lot of that. And I think if you go to some places, it still hasn't changed. And I think that's like the funny part about it. Like for me, this, the sport is changed so much, but you can still find places in America, which blows my mind. Like there is a small climbing gym in Jasper, Arkansas. Mm -hmm. no, yeah, no, Jasper. It's not Jasper, in Missouri. There's a small, oh, I can't remember the name of this town, but it's, I'll come to me later. Mm -hmm. There's a small gym in Missouri that they only open the certain days of the week. It's whenever the owner wants to get up. Mm -hmm. And it's like yeah. this small, little, 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 little gym. And yeah, that still exists to this day. But I agree with you. Like, I, that is probably a thing. Because when I first climbed at Stoneworks back in the day, I remember I they were... They had not, I think they were only teaching people how to do the figure eight knots, but they had only been teaching people for a few years. Cause I remember when I went in, a guy was just like, okay, like I haven't done this too many times. So I'm going to teach you how to tie this knot. And I just remember thinking in my head, I was like, is this a business? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I can, I can remember, you know, when 95% of the people I knew refused to use a Grigri because oh, yeah. they were convinced that, well, first of all, they were convinced that, you know, you don't need a Grigri. They, you know, it was just sort of a Luddite thing where they're like, no, come on. ATC is fine. Like, you don't need the Grigri. And then, of course, it evolved into, well, if you use the Grigri, like, you're going to stop paying attention. You're not going to be safe. You're going to drop your partner. You're going to, you know, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now... Self self-arresting devices are the standard. Well, yeah, and even some some gyms have now even banned uh, ATCs and tube style debate because yeah, no, they're, I mean, they're just not interested in in people making mistakes with those. Yeah, no, it's a conversation that's come up in Summit quite a bit. Yeah. It's like it's a. I, I was I was shocked actually when I first moved to Texas. the The idea of having the carabiners pre-tied on the ropes, I was really I was that I had never seen that before I moved to Texas. I remember the first time you and I sat in the lead cave, I belayed you on an ATC and you asked me, you're like, you know how to use that? I'm like, I know you won't die. 
Yeah. So there's, yeah, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot that's, that's changed. It's the, this the attitudes, I think. There's a lot that's changed, but a lot that's, you know, that mm-hmm. stayed the same in, in a lot of ways. I think it's just, uh, the attitudes is, you know, it's a lot more people in climbing. The, 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 uh, dem- the demographic of, of people that are climbing has changed drastically. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's had a massive influx. I remember, I mean, I remember going into the gym back in Dallas Rocks days, and if there was 25 people in that gym, mm-hmm. 30 people in that gym, I was like, it's too full. I can't rock climb. I can't climb. Yeah. And it's like now it's like 125, 200 people packed in that building. Yeah, you go into a mega gym on a weeknight, and you're going to wait for a, a rope. You know, you're going to wait to That's get in line on a route. Boggles my mind. The first time I ever had to, actually, the first time I ever had to do that outdoors was in Rifle. And that's like one of the reasons why I swore that I say I never climb there again, but I always climb there anyway. But yeah. like it boggled my mind having to do that. And so that's like why now I still personally, me, I like to seek climbing routes that are like off the beaten path. Cause everyone's always like, you like to go to climbing routes that it takes us like two hours to drive on a dirt road. Yeah. And I, and I like that too, and and I think it's it's there's enough climbing, you know. I I'm not uh, I'm not in the camp that uh, the explosion of indoor climbing has ruined outdoor climbing. No. Uh, I, I think it's overblown. I think most that's, people uh, most people I find indoors don't want to climb outdoors. Exactly. I think but, that's angry locals that are upset when there's more than three people at their crack <laughs> in general. Yeah. Um, and yes, there will always be. That off the beaten path, secret crag, whatever that you can go to. Yeah, you know? absolutely. You just got to keep digging. Yeah. Well, sir, I thank you for your time. Yeah. I think. Thanks for you, having that, me. Really uh, yeah, it. yeah. I'm psyched to have you on this uh, show. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you are looking for some uh, world class training, hit my homeboy up. And then, other than that, uh, I think you guys are beautiful people. And remember, If you're not suffering, I think you have to ask yourself, are you really sending at all? Talk to you later. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did reliving it. I was super excited to catch up with Ellis before he got out of town. And if you haven't already, please check us out on Patreon. You can go to mariostanley.com to find all the information. And remember, as always, if you're not suffering, are you really even sending at all?